Welcome to another episode of Dangle Thoughts. This time we're talking to Lucas Neufeld. Lucas is one of the most extraordinary performers I personally know. He's an amazing guitar player and a singer. He's part of a band called The Things. And I wanted to talk to him because he's one of the most capacious minds I personally had the pleasure of meeting. He knows a lot about physics, electrical engineering, and of course, sound. He also speaks Japanese, which was also fun to explore. We get into very deep discussions about some fun things. I think this is one of the last intros that I'm gonna be doing. I'm not sure how much it actually contributes to the episodes, and I think the episodes speak for themselves. So I'm gonna keep the next few very short, and unless you guys tell me otherwise, I will stop doing them altogether. Just to take this opportunity to quickly remind you that if you like what I do, please like and subscribe. And if you really like what I do, please consider contributing a Patreon. The link is in the description. And now I give you my conversation with Lucas Neufeld. Yeah, it sounds good, man. This is cool. Oh, man. This yeah, is this, this sounds is, good. Okay, this is what I needed. Yeah, these are see. good mics. I like them. Lucas! Hello! How are you doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks I'm for having so me. I'm so happy we get to do this, man. Yeah, I like I was, you. I was excited to talk to you for a long time. Yeah. It's nice and, um, you know, I needed a podcast as an excuse because otherwise... Yeah, we, no, don't, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Only was, if it's a big project. How, how was your drive here, by the way? It was pretty rainy. It was good. Yeah, I don't drive often and my license has just been revoked, so it was interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, don't tell So <laughs> to anybody who doesn't know, you are uh, a musician extraordinaire. And um, you really are truly one of, one of my favorite musicians. Like, I know a lot of musicians somehow. I don't even know how because I'm not one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you're literally one of those people that uh, it, it's, it's so annoying when people say, you know the x factor uh-huh. <laughs> but you definitely have like there's something <laughs> Thanks, like, there's, yeah. there's something there's something about your presence so i think it's about presence i think it's about the fact that aside from the looks and the, the actual ability to deliver on stage there's there's like a playfulness that is fun like you actually are there very clearly not just to be seen but you well actually i don't know if that's true but it seems from the audience that like you really care about what the audience is experiencing for sure. Would that be an accurate assessment of the situation? Yeah, I mean, I I was a sound guy for a long time. So um, doing sound, you see a lot of artists. Like I probably mix like 3,000 3, bands. And it it got to a point where I would 90% of the people you see, it's there's something missing. And then there's like that, that 10% of people, maybe even less, like Diamond or like Jewels. Or there's certain people that like, I was always drawn to, Oscar. Like that had this thing where I guess the best way to put it is when you're on stage, people reflect what you're doing. So like if someone's on stage, let's say I'm on stage and I go, I'm cool. Like I'm thinking this in my head, like I'm cool. Look at me. I have a guitar. And then the audience is looking at you and you're setting the example as the leader of the room. And then so they the audience feels I'm cool. Look at me. And they're so confused. Like, why am I feeling? I feel so weird. And they're trying to relate with you, but all you're doing is I'm cool and they're feeling I'm cool. So like what you do exactly reflects to people. So I think a lot of people miss that point. And for me, it's more about like losing myself in the music. And when I can do it in front of people, then maybe people can get lost with me. And it's a really fun experience when it happens. In that but way. how do you but how do you go from could you always remove your ego like this or was it a gradual process? Oh, remove ego? Well, well, because it seems OK, maybe I'm misinterpreting the situation but it seems to me that you have to like in order to be in that state in which you're just enjoying what you're doing and not think for a second 
what the audience thinks. It seems like it. You must have some, some you know, uh, degree of removing your ego. No. Or well, you, I guess it, it's for me. It's like you don't think about your how you look. That means removing your ego. No, kind of, no? I, I guess I guess the way it works is it's in a certain order of operations. Like if I prepare, then when I'm on stage, I know they're gonna like it. So now I can stop worrying about it. Like, because I've done the work, I've built my pedal board, I've got my tones, I've worked on the songs enough, and I trust the people around me, that the work's done. So now I don't have to worry about it in front of people. I can just be. Like, but I do know that, like, a long time ago, I used to get into magic. Like, I would learn magic tricks. Or, like, me and Skylar used to, my friend Skylar, you know Skylar, for the audience. But, uh, <laughs> Everybody like, oh, Skylar. Oh, Skylar, yeah. <laughs> so we used to ride unicycles. And, like, we what? had a, we had a, we That's would, we would go amazing. to, we'd, ride to school on our unicycles and like there's we always got into these things that were like these little projects we get into but and for me a lot of it was like i loved to impress people like i love to like blow people's minds like with a magic trick or something it was just so satisfying to see people's reactions so it started it comes from that in a way and it also for me there's a feeling like when i was little i wanted to be spider-man like really bad like and there was no it's not possible i don't live in new york first of all there's that but also, you can't be a superhero. Wait, so so LA can't have a Spider-Man? Uh, it, it's too thin. It, it, it's too low. I mean, you <laughs> could, but he would just walk around like just jizzing on people. In his class. Just, it's not, it doesn't. It's not, not, it just go between Seven Elevens, you basically, and not, Starbucks's. It's not conducive to a web slinger. But um, so I, I always wanted to be a superhero when I was little, and I was like, oh, what am I like? So the closest thing to that is like a rock star, I guess. So I guess I started kind of leaning into that, and then it turned into something else as I was trying to impress a girl with that that path and then it just pulled me all the way into it it became something much more but like to be like a superhero like to be on stage and to move people is it just feels like when it's happening and when every time i play a show it's like i i feel like i live for it i'm like why am i not doing this every single day because it's such a powerful state of being that feels like a superpower so and it's not so much about like back to the ego thing it's not so much about the ego of like, oh, me, me in the situation, but to, to move people and to feel that motion is what it's about. Like it, that's why the album's called Vicarious Catharsis. Cause it's, oh yeah. you so your recent album is Vicarious Catharsis. Yeah. The link is going to be in the description. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, I'm working on some new songs, but uh, that, that album is called that because, uh, cause it's big words and you want to sound smart. Yes. But also, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that actually came from, uh, uh, Justice was Justice bass player in the band. Justice was up on a mountain with the Dalai Lama or something. And he, <laughs> I swear to God, I swear he call, he calls me. He's like, I'm with the Dalai Lama, and I'm like, this okay. is such a Justice story. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, yeah, You're, yeah, of course you are. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, so I guess I gotta ask you, like, why are we doing this? And I was like, um, he's like, really? Like, is it for people to look at us on stage and be cool? I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a really good question. Took me a second, but what it came down to was vicarious catharsis. This act of playing the music on stage is this like the the most cathartic thing possible for me and then when you're doing something on stage what i learned from sound like i said it's everything you do becomes vicarious so the the act should be a vicarious catharsis so it's interesting because essentially the the release that you experience in that moment that catharsis is something that is carried through the way you play the music and the audience feels it is what you're saying yeah, well, at least some of them do. And when they do, you can feel it. And when they don't, 
it's pretty fun to like look out and just like just like stare at them and they're like then all of a sudden they're like uncomfortable it shifts their frame of reference or their, their status shifted and then Hold they're up. with you so yeah. so you really so it oh it's always a, a very common theme with you where you actually you know what can you move that book away i feel like it's just enough yeah just over there somewhere it's it's such a common thing with you where uh, you trying to always not like you're a very analytical person, but when you asked about your craft, you always downgrade it. Well, maybe downgrade is the wrong word, but you essentially you bring it to the more the vibe level, which is not so much about like I don't know what carries what. All I know is what I see, and all I know is what I feel on stage, and that's all I can talk about with certainty which is also part of the, of your charm because it's not it's not something that yeah because you know uh, uh, it gets to a lot of people's heads right a lot of performers like it gets to their head and i mean maybe just it maybe it's justified to some degree but there's something unique about somebody who can really deliver but also at the same time it's not it's it really is not for them about anything else but their own experience, essentially. Yeah. And and but be, but which is interesting because for anybody who knows you, you're a, like very analytical, like in some ways, right? You're, yeah. You're you're, you're, very, you're very smart. You know how to build things. You're. I I think uh, of it like I'm a spaceship builder. I'm building my spaceship for the show, which is like the journey, and then the sh so like. That's why like, building the studio of justice. It was like I I love building the the spaceship. Like my pedal board or something, or or the songs for the show. It's like once it's built, then we fly it. So your preparation, you're preparing the equipment and the sound, checking the electricity, uh, you know, pedals, everything, including your own prep with the music. Yeah. That's building the spaceship. Yeah. And then we fly. And then we fly. And I. That's amazing. And I don't think about myself as the pilot, but I do. Really enjoy. Like I don't know. It's interesting. Do you feel you're the navigator? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. It's it's interesting. It depends on the scenario, I guess. With the with the things stuff, it's it's like I don't. Know, I just love to fly the ship. It's it kind of feels like a video game in a way, and like I'm building the 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 character that is gonna do this journey on stage, and that's what that's what excites me more than anything else. I think is is the building of it and the writing of the songs for it, and then setting up and putting on these like ridiculous outfits because it's like people look at you like how, if you can tune everything to be like what the hell is that guy wearing and like what like and people just can't take their eyes off you and it's funny because every time i put that amount of effort into each piece like the clothes and then i'll make my i'll work on my vocals or i'll like work on my guitar playing if i've put enough work into all those pieces and then when they come together on stage i always get a reaction every time and then and I, it never becomes like, oh, they like me. It's always like, cool. Okay, I'll work on that more. Okay, cool. I like that. This felt good tonight. So that this is getting at the level. And you have all these like character traits and like effect traits and like different parts of the music that once you level them all up, they they line. Yeah, they line up really nicely. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I uh, it definitely. I mean, it definitely shows. But you know what? I was thinking that would actually be a really cool way of um, just approaching life in general, like. I mean, certain jobs like yours, I don't even know if you can call it a job, but like certain journeys <laughs> like yours lend themselves easier for this kind of play inside your own head in which you imagine yourself to be this character and what kind of character would actually carry the story better 
Yeah. That's a really fun game. And I think that on some level we can all play it, even if you're a fucking accountant or I don't know why it's a fucking accountant, but even if you're an accountant or whatever it is that you do, it doesn't matter what it is. I feel like making it into a game because to a certain degree it is a game. It totally like is. it's just the infinite game. Like, you know, in video games, you're just limited by the rules that the video game uh, makers put in place, which is like, you know, the type of coin you can collect or whatever, it, whatever kind of powers you can get. But this is like the ultimate game in which, hey, the laws of physics are here. Mm-hmm. But then. And you have these spiders and, taped to your and, limbs. And, yeah. <laughs> so and you then, can use them. And then that's it. Like, yeah. go. Yeah. It's. That, that that I think really, I think uh, who was talking about that? Oh, I think it was, um, I think it was some Sam Harris episode in which he was talking about how, like he was also talking about like a video game. He's like, just look at Elon. It's like mm-hmm. nobody's ever done it before. There's no rule against it, so yeah, well, you when, can make it happen. Once it's you just, decide the game you're playing, like that's the hardest part is to decide what game you want to play. I feel like. Once you do something and you find something you really like, then you can trust yourself to do it. But up until the point at which you've chosen, you can't fully play. Like, and so that's why if you're half into something, like let's say you're an accountant and you love this stuff. You love being an accountant. So you get your cool desk that you like and your cool things set up and you have all your systems and you're always working on your systems as well as the thing. Like I... I guess it started as well for me with the pedals specifically being like, I need to trick myself into keep like I play music, but I, it's like, yeah, I do other stuff too. But if I, if I, all the other stuff I do is the music also like wiring and fixing things and this, then I'm always doing the music. And then it turned into, oh, now I'm always working on this one mission. And so I fill up my, all of my time with different pieces of the same mission. So like, like the sounds of the the room, the space you play and the people you play with. And it's these things like you're working on them in the off time, but it actually becomes on time because it's still working on the same thing. You know, so, I, th- I think that's the difference between a career and a job. Yes. So I think that everybody with a career that that's their life because pretty much every facet of their life has something to do with what they do. There's a certain element of constant development of certain skills that you always got to learn because something is developing or certain tools you got to learn um or really just like the i don't know networking whatever it is right Mm -hmm. uh but with a job it's it's almost like somebody else's idea Mm -hmm. and then you just kind of like until you figure it out you just kind of like living somebody else's idea yeah and and that's that's the initial escape too we have to we it's like the first mission i feel like which What, what is is the escape of supposed tos and shoulds I because see. our parents raise us and they're protecting us. They're raising us to this, this place because this is the way they see the world and whoever they are and whatever your circumstances, they, they instill something into you that, that you now need to shake loose as the first step to figure out where, what your mission is. And so that's the fir- first force of gravity, would you say? The going yeah. to kind of like the first orbit? Yeah, you first need to build the propulsion system to propel yourself off the planet that you've been stuck and raised on, that you grew from. And not that you leave its orbit, but you use it to... And now, now you can see it from above, see it for what it was, take all those things and direct them at what you want to do. You know, it, and it becomes more, like you said, a game. Like it's, it's life is... I mean, if you're, if you're the main character, which you are, and then you become present in that way, 
to treat it as that game and okay now like if if you've ever played a like an rpg like skyrim or like fallout or something final fantasy that was mine. <laughs> for sure and it's like cool i got this new sword and it has like plus 10 to like mana or whatever and these things like you can take your make make sure your hat and your sword and your jacket all do plus 10 to mana so that's 30 to mana so now you can use this new spell like stacking your your character's traits in yourself like like how how does each piece uh, it's like the 1% of everything. If ev- if you made everything about you and your craft's ability to exist like 1% better, then if, let's say there's 100 things, you're 100% better. It's like twisting each thing to be in the right direction for what you want to do. I really love that analogy. And I really love the analogy about the orbit because even the, the part in which you get to a certain distance from the planet you grew up on and then look back and see if it, see it for what it was or what it is, and then you still connect it to it, mm-hmm. but now you connect it to it for, from a larger distance in which you're more, uh, you have to figure out things on the fly. And mm-hmm. if things go wrong, you can't just, you know, use uh, mission control. Like you, you actually have to figure out things on your own. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's very, it, uh, the analogy, this analogy runs pretty deep. And I feel like I just don't ever, I don't know, like this is so hopeful and I love that idea. I just don't know to what extent this can be translated for everybody. And when I say I don't know, I don't mean I don't think it can. I'm literally saying, like, I don't yeah. know what would be the steps to, like, you know, if somebody's, like, got abused or it was, like, really depressed or... Oh, yeah. I like, mean, sometimes the gravity on your planet is so immense. And that's why there's these success stories when... That's why people love the hero's journey. Because, like, when when someone's in such a deep level of pain and trauma and they have to climb out of it, it is not easy. And it's their own thing to do. Like, we, everyone's got something, but it's... And also the thing is too, like, I know that I'm fully privileged. Like I, growing up, I knew like my parents, I grew up in a nice place and I was in, I grew up in Culver City and my parents were really well off. We had a nice house. Like there was a point at which we started losing money and whatever. And it went down. I got to see a little bit of both sides, but I knew there was a moment when I dropped out of school, I I looked around and I was like, oh, I'm totally taken care of. And I have about three, maybe four more years before I'm not. So I'm just gonna spend all my time getting to the point I wanna get to because I only have a limited time, but I was like, cool, I'm taken care of so I can just focus. So I had that luxury not everybody has that luxury, but if you do, I think it's important to do that. And when you don't, like, I don't know that situation, but I've, I've met many people who have just killed it based even whatever traumas they have. You just, you make more time in the day you like you get up at five instead of waking up and like you can make more time. And that's that's work that I was lucky enough not to have to do necessarily. But I mean, it's amazing that you you recognize because it's not always easy to recognize what you have because you just have it. I mean, I'm a but- Jewish white kid from Culver City. I'm a third generation <laughs> Los Angelian. Like literally, I found out yesterday uh, our <laughs> it's I'm third generation Los Angeles like. My grandmother was born in Los Angeles. Like, holy shit! Yeah, does, does it have a name? I don't know if it is. Like, you know, uh, people from Indiana are called Hoosiers. Oh, uh, really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't Hoosiers. know if it, yeah, I don't know if well, it, I think I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> we should probably look it up. I don't have a Jamie here. <laughs> Jamie, can, can you, you pull uh, up a Hoosier? <laughs> Z, can you? Is that how Jamie sounds? It sounds like a mutt. <laughs> what the fuck, Jamie? We're sorry. We still you, don't awesome. understand how you learn English. There's you have. The the internet oh, I'm just uh, <laughs> the one person on the planet who doesn't like jamie for no fucking reason oh <laughs> like, he's such a nice guy 
<laughs> it's like yeah. there's something about these uh, producers, you know, uh, Ben for uh, Tim Dillon. You know Tim Dillon? Uh, I've never really watched the show, but I've known. Bro, him. you have to. <laughs> will, like, no, seriously, okay. he's fucking amazing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but there's always like this like slightly like slightly more timid but like a powerhouse that you know is a powerhouse and what he does mm. and they're kind of like they, they always have this quality it's mm. very clear that they're there for a reason yeah well, but they're always kind of like second grade it's, citizens well, like, but they're not they're <laughs> like, the, yeah they're off to the side because they're the one that's putting it all together but they don't necessarily need to be in the front but yeah. they but they don't want to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For the my my favorite uh moment with jamie i think was with theo vaughn when he was uh talking about Dutch people, and then you know, with a straight face, you just go like, "Jamie, pull up a Dutch." <laughs> <laughs> and Joe was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I don't know. They're very square. They're downhill people." <laughs> I'm like, "What?" <laughs> pull up a Dutch. Google that. Google. I mean, I guess you could set up like an Amazon Alexa. I don't know. AI is no. It, it, it will eventually come. It will be a glorious day when I don't have to actually worry about fucking. Oh my you know, Like everything. I'm. I'm really happy I that I get to do this like that because it gives me so much experience and control. But man, it will be sweet to not worry about that stuff. Well, also, the, this is the point at which, which also I'm at that point with the music where it's you're you're collecting rocket fuel. Like with, to stay on that analogy, like. That you're you're getting into orbit right now and if you stay on course you will get into orbit then yeah. and you will because that's that's how this works especially youtube has shown like the fact that there are youtubers and that's a career now i mean like mr beast like oh is man. the youtube like he is the perfect name too yeah he's i mean he's just put out like a chocolate like what and a, and he had like beast burger or something i don't know but yeah. the, it shows that if you do something long enough you will be successful, whether you succeed or not. I can also put out a sex tape. Yes, that works too. Not on YouTube though, unfortunately. Uh, well, if you... Maybe, <laughs> you maybe, can lab- maybe in YouTube shorts. You can label <laughs> it. <laughs> Nobody's ever tried this. Just, just lab- a sex tape on TikTok. Just, just 15 label seconds. it art exhibit or like, or like exam, butt exam or something. You know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what I wanted to... Uh, oh, so... the. What age was this when you kind of figured this out when you had like four years to go before you're going to be taking care of, stop um, being taken care of? I don't know. Well, like was it 16? Was it 20? Well, was I stopped. I, I dropped out of school in 10th grade. I was just, I, well, I convinced my parents that I was getting migraines, which I had them every once in a while, but school was not my thing. I, the teachers hated me. I answered every question and I didn't do any of the work. Like I, I was like, just this, this. Why did they hate that? Just because they wanted meticulous students? Uh, they're tenured and they don't like, they don't want to, all they want to do is get through the day at their job and they're tenured. So it's difficult to fire them. So at a certain point, and this is not all of them, but a lot of them, they just like don't care anymore. And so yeah. when there's a kid, they're just like doing all the things that they want in the talking, but making it hard for everyone else to learn. So I don't know. It just wasn't, was that you? Yes. Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> I was <laughs> you, were, you had so much talent but you wrote out of people's lives. <laughs> I would just well, especially science class like I all of my science teachers were just like they hated having me in the class cuz it was like why is the chlorophyll? Like I don't know. I just I loved that stuff so I would just remember it and history class too. I just knew it so I would just like answer really? every history. Question. Man, I could never stand history. Dude, history I don't is, know why. History is for some reason it's still my jam, especially like everything that I'm into these days, I'll just go into the full history of it. Like if there's a new band I like or an old band I like, 
I'll, if I listen to one song that I like, I have to learn their whole history. Okay, so that's interesting because I make a big distinction between that kind of history and like human history. So like I totally get that. In fact, if I get into, you know, I don't know, some some somebody, doesn't matter if it's a YouTuber, a spiritual leader, it doesn't matter. The second I start downloading it in, in a way that is like, oh, I like this. Mm-hmm. The first thing I got to do is go check up on them. Yeah. Like I got to go through the, like the thing. The but I see it as like check. a background check. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's like maybe again, maybe it's like kind of like the Russian in me, but it's not, <laughs> it's not, I don't see it as history, you know, like, yeah. but that's a beautiful way For of sure. thinking about it. Cause that is the it history is. of that I mean, thing. But yeah. do you not, do you not, uh, like for you, it's not, it's not different than our history. Like when you, you know, in school, you're not learning history of bands. You're learning history of the well, world. Well, in school, you're learning history from a textbook with drawings in it that are like, okay, I, I completely uninvested when I was in health class one year. I don't remember. What like, is health class? In middle school, I was in health class and they teach you like, like they, how to put a condom on a banana, except for some reason oh. they pulled out a pink dildo and I had to put a condom on in front of the whole class. Of <laughs> they, pink dildo. Dildo they gave the banana to the so girl. Sex ed. Yeah, basically, but also like drugs and stuff. They'll talk about drugs. Oh. And the moment I completely disinvested, uninvested, divested, whatever, is they opened the textbook. Subvested. Sunvests, you know, like Marty. Okay, so in the book, it says weed is the most powerful hallucinogenic on the planet. And it will kill you if, if you do it like six times. And I read this and I'm stoned in class. Like, and then luckily the teacher goes, yeah, let's skip over this part. It's not true. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so if there, if it's- What school if, did you go to? I went to Culver like, City Middle School and High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, yeah, there was a lot of things in those books where I was just like, there, I'm, if I leave, I will get arrested or my parents will get fined. First of all, I'm confined to this space legally. Second of all, I have to read from this book that there's some company that printed it that's upcharging it like crazy. Like a textbook's like $200. Bro, you're so Jewish. I know. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Fucking <Baruchata. laughs> <laughs> Fucking thinking about upcharging books and how he's legally bound to school. Oh my gosh. What? So, before you, uh, before I forget, so finish this point, but I, I know I will fucking forget because I keep forgetting this okay. point. After that, I want to ask you what age you started to actually play music, but finish this okay. point, please. All right, so in school, it was a prison, essentially, in my mind, and I realized that the textbooks were most likely lying and just propaganda. And so I completely uninvested in that. I convinced my parents to let me go into independent study, saying I had headaches, and plus I was ditching class all the time. So my parents got me into independent study. I befriended my independent study teacher, and I told her, look, I'm not doing this. I'm going to be a musician. I'm not doing school. So I just wouldn't do the work. And every time I'd come in, she'd be like, you didn't do anything again. And I'd be like, yeah. And she'd be like, ah, okay, did you play music? And like it, after a few times, she'd be like, okay, well, it seems like you're not going to do this. So there is, like, I can sign off on you dropping out. Um, oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, because that's legal? I was the age, yeah. I was like, I think it was like, like, there's a certain age, like, or like, maybe ninth grade or something you're allowed to um, in that district or something. So they asked me and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I had like a presentation. I was like, I'm gonna be a musician. I spend all my time when I'm home, which is all the time now because independent study, I have a flat screen TV that I found on the side of the road that I fixed, put on my wall next to a mirror with my guitar amp and I would watch Jack White play in the White Stripes and I would copy him. And I was like, if I do this all the time, I will be successful. Like if I just copy, he became a mentor, this character on the internet. I had YouTube and I had, so I just told her that and she's like, okay, and signed it. I didn't go, I didn't even tell my parents. So I was just like, 
I just don't go. So I went to uh, Time Warp Music instead every day, the guitar shop in Mar Vista. Yeah, instead of school. that's uh, so you so you knew. Are we back on? We're back on. So we're back on. Yeah. So so what we were talking about off camera for a second is that um, like how in conversations and podcasts uh, sometimes you know the flow is not always there, and then we said that you know uh, like I guess being a professional podcaster is somewhere where you start delivering no matter how you feel, right? Yes. Then you said that you picked right. up something from yeah. our friend Desmond, who's who calls himself Diamond. So so Diamond. Um, Diamond, I, so here, there was a show I played that there was not many people there. There was like, I don't know, there was like five people. And I was like, I, I went on stage. I brought everything else, like kind of dreading it because there was no one there. And I like, I totally half-assed it. And I was like so bummed at myself. And then I went and saw Diamond play. And I was like, there was like three drunk people in the room. And he's in this like sparkling outfit with like <laughs> frills on just killing it to like tracks like vocal tracks and i just was like every time i go on stage now if no matter what diamond just interesting diamond so you're saying because yeah no he, he definitely has that element where he just he just gives the crowd even if it's a crowd of one person it doesn't matter doesn't matter just do it there, it's, there was, it's what you do there you was know? one show that we went to see him it was glorious he glorious. was playing in a hotel. Oh, it was it's always glorious, <laughs> it's always but it was glorious for a different reason. He literally stepped on a on a glass table in front of us and the table just flipped over oh. and <laughs> just broke. <laughs> and he just kept on fucking singing. He's like, nah, are you gonna fix yes. this? <laughs> it was amazing. That is awesome. Everything fucking champagne flew everywhere and he just kept on dancing. Oh like it was gosh. like nothing fucking happened. It yeah. was amazing. That's my new thing lately. Just oh, there's no one here. Okay diamond let's go but, <laughs> so I can hit it, you know? but i'm sure it's hard to pick up energy that way though yeah because, because there's there's something that you get like you get you feed from the audience right yeah well uh in that case you're taking the lead like a lot of times you need to take the lead if there's no if there's one person there and they're like uh and you're like uh then everyone's like uh but if they're like i don't know and you're like come here let me or you're just in it for yourself and then you invite them in like then they start to want it and then they come in you know interesting so i don't know there's different flows but no that that's definitely way harder i'm, I'm sure for a comedian for any kind of performer for hmm. a musician um so you start so okay so obviously you start playing way younger was it really young or was it like around nine ten um no, well, I played um, when I was really young. I played piano and I had singing lessons. And then, oh, so you were like, kind of like classically trained? Uh, like well, I was in I was in musical theater. I okay. I was on stage. I played the uh, um, the flying monkey in the on stage production of Wizard of Oz. Oh, uh, I holy did a shit. cartwheel. My wings fell off. Whoa! Um, at Bugsy Malone. I kissed the girl I wasn't supposed to kiss. It didn't make any sense for the storyline, but. I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you feel pretty good about it? <laughs> yeah, it was good. She was, okay, was good. consensual. <laughs> you never know, man. You might still get me too in like <laughs> 10, years, 10 years from now about These that. Days. <laughs> so you never know. Oh my God. Retroactive punishment. Allegations. Oh no. But yeah. I mean, so yeah, it was musical theater. Then it was piano teacher. And then it was actually, so my piano teacher would teach me out of this book. And it was like, I remember being like, ugh, piano class. So I would go and like, she would be like, okay, Mary had a little lamb, whatever. And I'd be like, all right, great. Can I leave? And uh, one day she was sick and this guy comes in like, and I, I've had like 40, maybe it sounds like I had like 40 or 50 at, of lessons at this point. It, I'd had a lot of them and she was sick. And this guy came in just like this cool dude and seemed like a jazz musician or some like 
I don't know, cool dude, cool hat, whatever. He sits down with me at the piano and he's like, fuck this. He like throws the book. He's like, what do you like? And I think I turned on like some dubstep song I was into at the time. And uh, he's, I was like, I like this song. I didn't really know what I liked yet, but he was like, okay, play it. And he could just play it. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Like, you can just, and he's like, yeah, just like, just look at it, find it. And once you hit it, that's the note. And now if you learn these shapes, you can play, you can play it. And I, it was like one lesson from this guy explaining this to me completely changed all of it. I quit that class <laughs> and, I, and I was like, and now I just, I just know, I just know how to play. And then seeing my grandfather play too, he, he, had, he always had a grand piano in the corner of his house and I would sit down with him and he would just like, it looked like he was playing random notes, but it like sounded good. So I would just like copy the randomness, the style of randomness he would do. And then that kind of became my style of playing music. Um, so it was piano early on and singing, and then that changed my perspective. So I got a ukulele. <laughs> what a jump. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you progress from piano to ukulele? Oh my God. It's a pretty badass instrument. No. <laughs> um, so then. I'm surprised it wasn't a harmonica. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I can't really play a harmonica actually. I really, I think I tried it. You, you totally look like somebody who can just whip it out and totally play it. I, I could pretend, but I. I think so. What happened was my I moved to this place. Actually, I was living up on the hill, the Culver Crest, and I met this kid in school named Rudy. And he was teaching. He taught me the how to moonwalk. I saw him doing it. I was like, "That's cool. How do you do that?" And he showed me, whatever. And we became friends. And then I was like, "What are you doing after school?" And he's like, "I don't know. You want to hang out?" And I was, I said yes. And then he was like, "Where do you live?" I said, "The Culver Crest." And he's like, "Are you? Are you like?" a creeper or something. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I live on the Culver Crest, Cranks Road, Cranks Road. And we were like, what? And we were neighbors. And we were like, okay. And you just come up with the same person. It's like, what do you mean? You're like, what? <laughs> and then he was me and then I woke up right here. <laughs> so um, I go over to his house. I walk down the street um, and we hang out. We started hanging out every day and his sister played music. And um, she, she would always play in front of her family in the backyard. And there would be like smoking weed and she would play music. They're like, Alexa, play music for us. And then they were so excited about it, like, and they were so supportive and she was so good. Like it, the seeing their reactions to her as if I succeeded at a magic trick that I was striving to do all the time is like to impress somebody somehow to be like, oh, I can like, I have superpowers or whatever. I saw that happening there and that like, I was like, I'm doing this. I got to try. So I, I, had, I played ukulele for a bit because I had one. And then I learned the hardest song on ukulele, which was Jake Shimabukuro's while my guitar gently weeps it's pretty cool it sounds like it's the hardest song to just say the name of it yeah it's just it's the hardest song for a lot of stuff but but so I, I learned that and then i learned guitar i moved to guitar there wasn't enough strings on ukulele and then one day we were hanging out me that girl and another girl and um the other girl who didn't play music um she, she was, <laughs> oh that girl yeah, didn't right. play music she, she didn't play music uh she was actually my Oh, whatever. My, one of my <laughs> teacher's daughters or whatever. Oh, yeah. I uh, thought there was some something there. No, okay. no, no, no. She was like my teacher's daughter or something. That's how I knew her. Uh, but she she pulled out a song and played it. And then Alexa, this girl who who played and I had been seeing was this level of talented, was like, oh, my gosh, that was cool. And, and then I was like, I could play one. So I, I played Fell in Love with a Girl by the White Stripes on the floor, like full screaming and everything like this angsty little kid that's never played in front of anyone, ever sang in front of anyone. I did it. 
And then all of a sudden she came up behind me and hugged me and was like, oh my gosh, that was so good. And first of all, I'm like, holy shit, I have a crush on this person now. <laughs> it's over. But then also it was like totally reinforced that. And I was like, this is what I'm doing. Like it was like the full approval of impressing somebody that I had chased in one moment from trying to copy her getting it. And it just like ingrained itself into me. And I was like, this is the way that I can feel whatever that acceptance is. And then it turned into, it evolved into all these other things. But that was the initial seed of it. And so then, do you think that's why you also stuck more with the guitar now? Yeah. Than, than staying on keys? Yeah, well, piano, I, piano always felt a little... Um, Too structured for you? I don't know about structured, but it's, it's, it's limiting. Like, you can't carry a piano around. Plus, like... Well, that's when you go to the gym, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeremy Jackson out here. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Did you say Jeremy Jackson? Yeah, I got Jeremy Jackson. Yeah, right he's, well, no, he was my second, the second guest. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> was, oh yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder if he can carry a piano on his oh, back yeah. all the time. I don't know. I saved him from the ocean. You uh, did? Did I tell you this story? No. Oh my gosh, he he might be mad at me for telling the story. Uh, we were in Nicaragua, and um, Jeremy Jackson, if you don't know, is the is the kid from Baywatch. Well, he was the kid from Baywatch, so I thought this was particularly poetic. Um, we were. <laughs> It is very ironic. <laughs> we were uh, we were in Nicaragua. Me, him, and Justice were surfing, and uh, we go out. We're like we paddle out, and the waves in Nicaragua they can get like as high as a house, like really big. And the day was pretty big, and we go like a mile out to hit the break. We're swimming, and like I'm a good surfer, I'm a decent surfer, but like we're going into like real. It's Playa Colorado. This is like the nicest place to surf. You go out and it's so big pros that go there. It's it's like the pro spot. It's always like you can watch on Instagram. People are like barreling every day. There's a cafe that you can just watch it happen. It's awesome. But um, we paddle out there. We get like a mile out and we're all like exhausted. And these big waves start rolling in. Now we've hit where the break is because it's pretty far out. And um, the wave goes up. I see Jeremy go over the wave and then the waves come in up and I go over it and it's like, whew, like you get yanked into the sky like full like a house like the size of a house like Shit. roll and i go over and as i go down there's another wave and i don't see jeremy but i hear lucas lucas and i'm like what are you kidding me what's happening is there a shark there must be a shark or something I was like and he's like lucas lucas i was like whoa what's fuck? so i paddle really fast over there and he's like i'm having a panic attack right now out here like i don't know there's more waves and he starts like like it just like overtook him and I get it like it was a scary situation but I was just in such a state of like this is interesting that I didn't it didn't the fear didn't come into my mind I was in a really interesting state of peace and so I came out and I gave him my board and he's like oh thanks so we got to go in we got to go in and I'm like no we do not go in because if you if you swim back towards the shore the waves that's where they're crashing right yep, now because we're yep. in the middle of a swell so you got to stay behind him so we had to wait and he's like we got to go and then justice met up with us so we had gotten all the way out there it took us like a half an hour to get like a mile out and then now we have to turn around because his board is yanked and at shore like oh so that's what happened he didn't have a board his, well his board as he went over the wave got yanked off of his leg ripped off and so he was just floating out there by himself so is that and, i actually know nothing about i mean i surfed a couple of times but i know nothing about it really is it more dangerous to be in high waves without a surfboard um the problem is when you're out in big waves well, it's more the consistency of the waves. If you don't have a float flotation device or a surfboard or whatever, um, wh if the wave crashes and you're under and it crashes hard and you go deep, you have to swim up. 
And by the time you get up for air, there's another, wa there's there's another, another wave. wave. And if, if that happens and then it just four or five putting, times in a row, you just can't breathe anymore. You can't breathe. So and then, then the bubble thing. You start breathing the bubbles because yeah. you think you're air. So it can get dangerous. Um, that particular day was just, the waves were scary. Like it was, it was intense. So then we, we start paddling back and I, he has my board now and it's just, it's Justice and Jeremy here. And Jeremy at this point is like gotten through it a bit. And it was, it was intense. Like, I don't blame him. Like that was it, that moment. I would have freaked out too if I lost my board, but he's, he's, he's here and I'm paddling between them like this on my back, like floating, like to get a mile in, in this huge waves, just like, uh, people swim the, the English channel all the time. Like that was my thought. I was like, it's repeating that in my head. Just like, okay. We're going to be fine. And we get back to shore and then we find the board on the shore. But man, yeah, that was the time I saved Jeremy Jackson from the ocean. That's a, that's <laughs> a crazy fucking story. And Jeremy's a beast. Oh, yeah. And He's, uh, we, we went to the ocean one time to train with him. Remember that day when we all went? Oh, yeah. And Jeremy goes into the ocean. And that's he, why he emerges just, from the water. I was like, bro, you look like an ocean beast. <laughs> like, it's fucking bison. Aquaman, dude. Well, and that's that's why it was so in the moment. I think it was actually good that it was so surprising to me that he was feeling that way in the moment because it, it totally changed my frame it, it was such a well everybody listen everybody gets scared oh, listen, yeah. the scariest moment of my life was also with water uh in the ocean but it wasn't even in the ocean we were sitting on one of those uh wave breakers what are they called kind of like right next to the shore and this one wasn't even one of those that you got to swim to this was literally attached to the beach in tel aviv and we just went there and got stoned uh, me and buddy of mine i think i was like i don't know 15 or something we got so fucking stoned um and you, you know how everything is so amplified when you're on weed. Mm -hmm. And we had the brilliant idea of to see how close we can come to the end of it before it starts getting weird, right? Mm -hmm. And it was evening, so I think the tide was coming in and uh, the sun was setting. And obviously, we just kept on incrementally going forward. And eventually, we got to a point where there was one wave that basically kind of like, you know, the water kind of went a little further down uh the rocks mm -hmm. in front of us and all of a sudden this thing did just like the, the the scariest thing about it was that it wasn't even um it wasn't even um it wasn't crashing or anything it's just that the water started coming in and it wouldn't stop so it gently lifted us Whoa. like just like and we're like what are you grabbing? Yeah. There's nothing you grab. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. And instead of going back, we're like, oh, oh. We start yeah. grabbing the rocks. And then you're like, and then somehow we managed to stay on the rocks. And we're like, Whoo. and the second we did that, I literally saw the bottom of the thing because it just went. Yeah. And I'm like, and we look up and this giant thing coming at oh us and he just smashed into us. I didn't even know where I was. I somehow slid all the way back to the other side, like through the rocks, all the way back to the other side of this thing. Whoa. I just slid on it and I was covered in blood because it like cut my leg yeah. from the bottom. And I remember my friend Robert, we were like there together. He was like, Donnie, Donnie. He's just like start screaming my name. And I was happy to hear his voice because uh -huh. I thought that's the end for both of us. Yeah. And and I was like, I'm here, I'm here. And then it took him a second to hear me out. But let me tell you, that was by far, if not the scariest, maybe top three for sure. Yeah. In my, this is the most scared that I can remember myself ever being. Water, so like the water, water is, is a, no joke. Yeah. Bro, it was, I was, well, I, I didn't go to the beach for maybe like a year and a half. <laughs> Dude, like, I bet. I mean, I had the same reaction when I watched Jaws for the first time. I didn't go to the ocean for a long time. But dude, water is, it's, it's surprisingly like, it's a, it's 
it has trickery built into it. It seems nice, but when you have a lot of it, it's like it's dangerous. The the most scary moments of my life too. Sounds with, like people. <laughs> yeah, <it's> a, <laughs> you never know. But the scariest moments in my life are water too. Like I one time I um I slipped down a waterfall and I was just held under, and then my uncle like grabbed my arm and pulled me out, but at the last second. And then one time I got stuck under like a. It was this big raft seat thing and it was flipped over and my friend was on top of it and I came up for air, barely about to like, you know, if you're like swimming up and you're like, I only have like one more second, I'll be fine for that tiny little blip left and then I'll breathe. You get up and now there's this floaty on my head. It's like the same oh, thing. Fine. Like I, I definitely, the scariest moments happen in water. So nothing, nothing against, like I completely understand if. In, oh, in situation. That, I, I feel like I would have been in that exact situation if we were flipped. It was just, but that's, that was the level of the waves there. It was, it was insane. And we were far out. And a few days later, justice actually swam out in another spot we were at, like just as far, if not farther by himself. And like the whole time we were all like, is justice okay? So like, I actually walked along the beach and just like tracked him while he was out there and just like watched from a distance and chilled on the sand i was like i'm just gonna do this because i don't know because <laughs> like, it's it's no joke out there man did, did you ever get to like a life and death situation with the waves um with the or ocean you got pretty lucky um i've had moments i've had moments where I, i've come up for air flipping around um and yeah like where the waves hit you it's like four or five waves in a huge break and your board's gone like and i've been by myself in that situation a few times and the key to those situations is always surrender. It's always well, yeah. It's always, but it's like, not always the easiest thing to do. Obviously. Yeah, well, and that's I. It's interesting though because when you fall into the water, that's what I like about surfing. Besides, like skateboarding or something, if you fall on a skateboard, you break something. It's a loud ending, right? As opposed to surfing, and you fall off the waves, it's a pretty like serene. It's like you land in a heaven space. You go in, it's like, and you just like in. But also, you're quietness. so you're so yeah. You you go alone. Yeah. It's, it, it's that kind of like, very, I mean, it can be very daunting. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, bye. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, uh, well, I always think of it like as soon as I land in the water off a wave, it's I'm in the womb again. And I'm just like, ah. Well, that's so, an interesting perspective. I wish that this would be that easy to like adopt. In a, and, and again, that maybe that's the secret to a lot of the moments of your flow. Mm -hmm. Because you kind of, so you know, uh, Wim Hof, mm -hmm. there's a story that he was telling in one interview in which, I don't know if you heard this, but. When he broke one of his uh, Guinness records for uh, longest under uh, ice water uh, swim, mm. I think it was like supposed to be 100 meters or something. So, you know, the way the Guinness records work is that you have a whole team, they set it up, they set up the rules, they set up the, the, the location, whatever. And then they kind of, you know, they have security there, like just so nothing is touched and everything is the same. So he goes there the day before because he kind of wanted to just feel the, you know, the distance and the thing. And it goes in, so it's one of those like fish holes, and you go in, and you're supposed to reemerge on the other side, 100 meters away. Yeah. So he goes in, and he just starts swimming, and then he's swimming and he's swimming and he's swimming, and then he realizes that he doesn't know where the hole, the other hole is. Oh my gosh! And he's telling the story exactly like you're saying, surrender. He's saying that in that moment, all he thought immediately, he knew that, well, this is it. So he said, I just kept on swimming. Mm -hmm. and I accepted it entirely and I just kept on swimming and I knew this is it and I was okay with it. Yeah. I had a good life. Uh -huh. And in that moment, uh, one of the divers that was there kind of securing the area that they're supposed to, there's always divers there to kind of help the situation in case. Mm -hmm. He saw that it's taking too long, so he 
dove in and he grabbed him. Oh man! Brought, so, but he said that he 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 swam beyond the hole probably like another fifty me- fifty meters. So technically, he swam like one hundred fifty meters, but it wasn't like an official event. So, oh my so, but that surrender moment, yeah, is so uh, is like yeah. And I don't know if those are you know, depending on what perspective you take about life, uh, I would say that there's a chance that the fact that somebody grabbed him might have had something to do with him surrendering. Yeah. Or not. I don't know. But it, well, it seems like... It's, so there's something to be said about the concept of the quantum roulette. The quantum roulette. Oh, thank you. There <laughs> so, you go. So Hello. The, Can we do the whole second part maybe like kind of like in the 50s? Though? They're like, well, <laughs> so there's this concept. So the, the quantum... Do you know about this concept? Like the... It's like... Or is it quantum revolver? I don't know. Like Russian roulette. If you were to- Oh, if you if you okay, but tell the I I think I know what you're talking about, but tell the details. So I mean it's been a while since I've studied this, but essentially, uh imagine you're playing Russian roulette. And this is in the context of quantum physics, but you're you're playing Russian roulette and you spin it. From your perspective, if you pull the trigger, you will never die. And this is not no one take this as any sort of truth, but the cons the the thought experiment. Yeah, please don't try this at home. <laughs> don't try this. Please. Unless it's in VR. And that's, it's actually pretty fun in VR. But if you play Russian roulette, the, the idea is that you always win theoretically. And you always are still aware and awake in this, in your version of reality, in your multiverse that you continue on, you are now, since you've given up and fallen into the surrender, you are now going this direction, but you don't end in your timeline. You actually continue in your timeline and s- some versions see you in each timeline where it, you did or you didn't get shot or whatever it is. But the concept is that for you, you will continue. Um, so maybe that surrender has something to do with like his act of surrendering was what brought him to that multiverse. Like, the- but if But that's interesting. So I think the premise of this, if I'm not mistaken, is that this is essentially like a, a a thought experiment in which you're testing whether you live in a multiverse or not. And if you are, then all the versions of yourself, like you would you would never not be, like there's always going to be something that's going to happen that's going to make you survive. Either the, 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 the gun doesn't go off or whatever, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be something, right? So I actually don't remember the exact details uh, of the thought experiment, but that's essentially what it is. What I always found interesting about it is that well, okay, but what happens at the end of your life, or or is, or is the thought is that in all the lives, there's always some kind of a version of it that you somehow live forever, like what, what, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and because that, because that's, yeah, you see what I mean? Like there's a difference there. Yeah, that's and where then, the and afterlife then, can get a little. Well, not even afterlife, like where does it, like if, if, if you, you know, if it's kind of like Groundhog Day and you shoot yourself and you wake up in the same bed, even if you don't remember it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you still wake up, let's say you wake up to the same life or whatever, but what's interesting about what you're saying is that what would be the, what, what would be the thing that it continues into? Like, because if you wouldn't surrender, then the experiment would fail. Like well, then he would die ultimately? Well, I don't know. I just saw some correlation there. But I think in the surrender, let's say it does this is let's say in this there is a reality in which this is true. And you don't you don't ever end. I mean, I feel like you and me both kind of have a feeling of what happens after. <laughs> I mean there, there's a certain there's a certain place you can go. Uh, certain people have seen. 
Yeah. I don't know. But but I don't know if <laughs> but I I don't I honestly don't know. I always had this thought of it's kind of like a it's just a thought that I had once. And it's it, it always fascinated me. And the thought is what if imagine yourself like you Lucas, not like humanity, but you you as you and everybody can think of themselves obviously. What if in your reality it's kind of like this thing where you just happen to live at the right place at the right time where both the technology uh, evolved in the time that you existed to do that and also you were one of the lucky ones that kind of got to go through those uh, experiments that allowed you to live longer and then longer and then longer and then longer and all of a sudden you're 10,000 years old and you're like, what are the chances of that? And then you keep living. And then you're alive for like millions of years and then billions of years. And then, I don't know, Google Plex years, whatever. Yeah. And at the end of all that, that's kind of like where the thought culminated. That's where the thought culminated in, which is the, uh, I had this very clear visual of uh, like a big, super shiny rock. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it's like the most beautiful, slick, almost metallic looking kind of like black rock that you arrive at at the end of time or whatever it is. And you look at it. Mm-hmm. And and in that instance, like you look into the thing and then you realize everything. It's just like your brain recapitulates. They say your brain recapitulates your entire life right before mm-hmm. you die. Yeah. You recapitulate the entire history of the universe and yeah. you realize you were God the whole time. You personally. Well, yeah. And I then mean, it this, all like this fucking entirely, restarts all over again. Well, yeah. this is entirely plausible. Uh, it, there is, I had a, okay. So... Here's a concept. I'm just going to explain real quick just to kind of give an idea of the reference of what I'm talking about with this exact thing you're saying. So imagine that that sphere, that thing is a black hole, right? This is an interesting concept. Like I like to think of time itself with a viscosity, like let's say water and honey. You move through one pretty easily, the other one you got to swim a little harder. Um, So if you, the viscosity of time changes depending on how much gravity is in an area. So right. near a black hole, time slows down because it's it's pulling on time. Acceleration, gravity, and time are kind of all the same thing and it's pretty complicated. But let's say I jumped backwards into a black hole and I had a tennis ball. And I, I jumped back into like, oh, okay. You're, you're over there. I see, I see, and I see. There's a black hole behind me and I jump into it and I throw the tennis ball at you as I'm falling into it. For me, it looks like the tennis ball is going and then let's switch to your perspective. You're looking at me. I jumped. Now, all of a sudden, I'm stopped. And the tennis ball is thrown but stopped as well. And I look like I'm not moving forever now because it's way beyond. My time has slowed down so much that it looks like I'm not. Permanently. Well, for your perspe- your your perception, it's permanently because it's longer than your lifetime. But Well, no, it stopped at the event horizon. It's well, actually longer than the lifetime of the universe, essentially. Well, not necessarily. We don't know for sure. Um, but there is, if I jump backwards into it and I throw it for me, what it looks like for you, it looks like I stopped, but for me, what it looks like is I throw it. And now the entire universe goes and flashes in super fast speed. And then it's over. Yeah. And all in one instant, because times just like got extremely viscous for me and extremely light and feathery for you. So in that moment, I did see the entire universe go in one instant. And for you, I just look like I stopped. And it's all relativity. It's, the, it's how my time was slowed down in that moment from the event horizon. And I actually had a similar meditation at one point. I like floated up into the universe and then flew into a black hole and it inverted. And 
I don't know, drugs. Fucking <laughs> 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 love this one. So if- bias in electronics is like constant voltage or frequency played for a specific reason. So like you have to play for, for on a tape. Like if you want it to record, you need to excite all the little, because it's little rust particles on a literally stuck in, in the middle of two pieces of tape, uh-huh. like iron oxide. And so you need to excite it. You need to vibrate it. So they're like shaking. So when you record in a magnetic field into it, it can, they're all free and mobile. And then they land in that position, but you need to excite it first with a bias. So so they record the structure of the sound structure. Well, as it's going over the tape head, it, it goes, it's playing a high frequency higher than you can hear. So you don't hear it in the recording, but it's exciting the, the molecules. So now when you play any other frequency, it, they take that shape and then they land. And that's called a bias as well. And that, that was invented by the Nazis. That's why we, we used to use. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the trend. <laughs> yeah, it was all invented by the Nazis. So let's talk about the great things that Nazis did. Well, Volkswagen. You know the mm. shape of the Volkswagen logo is very interesting. The VW shape. It's actually a. It's a design that Nikola Tesla actually uh, drew out um, for. It's like a very specific structure. Um, it's that V and the W. It's I forget what it's like an important mathematical thing where you're hitting like the one, the three, the nine and the six, if you had a clock and it like draws it in that way. I oh, forget. They were nuts, man. Yeah. But you know, that's wait, but I want to go back to what we're talking about <laughs> black hole. Cause it was one of my favorite things. Okay. And I love how you tied it up with drugs. But, uh, <laughs> fucking great. Okay. So, th- so I-, I actually thought about, uh, I wonder if there's a, and I think there's actually a theory that kind of uh, outlines this. But I really love the idea that universes are essentially like inside of a black hole, the vector flips, and then the contraction looks like an expansion. And that's essentially what the expansion of the universe inside of it is. Mm-hmm. It, like it looks com- it's coming from a, a big bang, but really it's coming from an event horizon flipped. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, re- I really love that Most idea. Most likely. Yeah. Um, so your interest in uh, in all the adjacent hobbies you have, like... You, because you, from what I know, you you studied Japanese very young, right? I went to a Japanese elementary school. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you're a little Jewish Japanese kid. Watashi wa skoshi no nihongo wakarimasu. You know what's funny? You actually look Japanese when you say that. I, your eyes literally go like this. I know it's <laughs> yeah. I know it's very not PC, but it's fucking. Yeah, I, I can totally see you as a manga character. Yeah, <laughs> I I actually used to feel like a a Japanese anime character. I would, that's why I would like cut my hair and like. Oh, manga! Perfect. Manga is the por- pornography, right? Uh, no, no, that's hentai. But, That's, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. I mean, so what's the difference between manga and... Uh, uh, buttholes. And, squ- but- and um, well, probably octopus. They put a lot of octopus in hentai. What? You never seen that? Wait, wait a second. No, what's the difference between manga and, and, and uh, what's the other thing? Hentai? No, not hentai. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fucking a. The, the other thing you said, anime. Anime. Oh, manga is um, uh, pulp. It's like a um, comic. It's written. Okay, got it. So, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, so like pulp fiction being comics because it's like the pulp on the, the paper that the pulp is made out of you know what i mean it's the same thing as the concept of manga is is the physical copy of anime is like the the tv version oh i see so it's yeah. like the moving pictures yeah okay so you study japanese which by the way me and kelsey are trying to do now because we might actually go to uh, uh to oh, japan for if you have any questions oh i i definitely will me gee that's all i know <laughs> Yeah. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> we had so to, the, one of our tests was we had to count to 100 in second grade. That was our, we had to count to 100. Is, it's so foreign, isn't it? It, it is. Um, but 
it, it makes sense the more you get into it. It is just kind of weird though because like there there's three um there's three written ways of there's yeah. three ways to write. I, I discovered it on Duolingo. It's yeah, like, you, which is you, weird. What is it for? Um, well, so there's there's kanji, which is like uh contractions like you write things in shapes like chinese kind of um but they're not the same as chinese but they're some of them are actually exactly the same but they're not the same words and they're the same shapes but um there's hiragana which is you write everything in hiragana there's katakana which is wait what do you mean you write everything in hiragana every word if you're not writing it in kanji kanji hiragana kanji hiragana and katakana katakana so hiragana kata is something repetition no because kata in uh, martial arts isn't in the karate it's like repetition of a Maybe kata means like I got it. Like oh really? Yeah, like interesting. Kata, um, I think so. I don't know. There's I need to because you know kata and karate is when they repeat them. It's like a, the dance you do in order oh, to kind of remember motion. I don't know. I mean, it may or may not be related, but there's in hiragana. Like let's say you have random any Japanese word, you write it in either kanji or hiragana. Uh, they have specifically like if you were to write a word in English, like let's say doorstep. If you would put dorusteppu, um, and you would you would write. <laughs> what did you just say? You, like I don't know. This is a random. Is this you speaking this, Japanese? This, speaking Japanese? No, you would just say dorusteppu. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, All this fucking time we're trying to learn. No, you could. I yeah, drink could. water. <laughs> well, okay, so you're using the letters like they don't have L. They have uh. Ru. Yeah. Ru. Which is very, very bizarre. So my name is Rukasu. So you can't say Lucas, you say Rukasu. So, and the way Rukasu. you would write that, since it's in English, this is a good example, Rukasu, you'd have to say it that way because you got Ru, and dash, which is like extending it, Ru, and then Ka, which would be the K and the A sound, but it's one letter, because that's all they have, Ka, and then Su. Um, so, but since it's an English word, you write in katakana to show it's another language. Oh, so, katakana, so all the other languages you have to write in katakana. Uh, if you're transliterating it to um, Japanese, where, which would mean like you're writing the equivalent in Japanese, it's katakana. Basically. Do you use katakana for anything else or just for that? Um, I think it's just for other languages, but I may be That's interesting. Sure. I wonder if they developed it because they saw that the Western world is so different. You know, well, yeah, Japanese culture always followed and copied a lot of things from America, like guitar pedals. <laughs> and bombing well, other actually, people. Oh, no. They made a lot of... <laughs> they make better guitar pedals than Americans, except for like a couple. But well, I, I know nothing about that. I would love to talk about that. I but, love them. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you actually have a, a channel you just revived on yeah, YouTube, right? Yes. Then it, is it all about guitar pedals? Or? No, it's just whatever I feel like filming. But I do want to do guitar pedals because that niche is like, it, there's so many, there's so much misinformation of things that I've studied and I, like, I know the truth. Like this is one pedal called a Univibe, which sounds like... And so it's based, people are always like, it's meant to copy a Leslie speaker, but it's actually the guy invented it because it's, it's copying the, the ra Russian radio signals. He heard bouncing off the atmosphere and he wanted to copy that. So it's like, but the people keep telling it in YouTube videos and I'm like, can we stop this? Why does it matter? I mean, does it matter for the functionality of it? Or? Uh, no, but okay, it, it's it, just the nerding out of uh, it. Well, it matters because you could buy a pedal to emulate that thing that they're saying it's emulating and it'll sound way better. Mm, I see. So, so they're just misappropriating the, the, the what it's supposed to be. Yeah, they're, it's just wrong, and I, I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get that part, believe me. And then you have another video that is actually the the one that has the most views, uh -huh. the one of you playing guitar with your teeth, which you do on stage, by the way, which is amazing. I have actually decided to do it less because I have a crack. What? 
You it's, did it's that. A, it's a micro fracture, but I know. So who used to do this? Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, I actually learned it because I went and saw. Oh, what's his name? Uh, he plays at Sayers a lot. Or uh, played at Sayers when he was Sayers. Um, Nick something. Oh, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's really really Australian. Good. Yes, yes, yes. That guy. I saw him play. Um, and I saw him play at El Cid, and he was playing with his teeth. It was amazing. And then, um, Javen actually, yeah, Justice's brother Javen. He. Uh, I told him that I was like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. I want maybe he'll teach me at some point. I was like, I don't know. And then one day Javen calls me and he's like, Hey, I'm here with Nick. And then he's like, he comes over and I'm like, he brings him inside and we're just hanging out. I was like, can you show me that? So like Javen like facilitated him teaching me that. So it was kind of cool. It, yeah. You, you do it really well on stage. Thanks. Is it, uh, is it not as hard as people think? Is it, uh, pretty much as hard as people think? Um, if you can play with one hand, which you learn because you kind of have to tap and stuff um, normally. What do you mean play with one hand? Like uh, like I can play and then not use this hand and just like tap the sounds. Oh, I see. Um, if you can do that, then you can kind of do it. It's So but, it's all about how much, like you have to kind of strum it as you, as you. Yeah, I mean, well, that's more to fill in the gaps. It's like it, you can do it and you'll miss notes, but like if you can do that, you'll be able to like fill in the gaps and make it look like you're actually doing Cause it. Cause I would think like, technically I'm just trying to imagine that like when you place your teeth, right? You don't use anything else but your teeth, right? But you can't send like a tooth to like another place, right? At the same time. And like, so how do you do chords? You like, don't, you don't okay. do chords. I mean, you could, if you go this, you okay. hit this part and then you play one, but yeah, it's for soloing really. It's, and I mean, it's, it starts with, um, I'm pretty sure it started with uh, T-Bone Walker, this old blues guy who like, he was like kind of a jazzier blues kind of swingish blues guy, but he would like do the splits on stage, play with his teeth, put it behind his head. That's where all these guys got it from. It all comes from the blues, all of it. Like, and I didn't realize this until, I mean, I kind of knew, but um, I, I happened upon meeting and hanging out with Gary Clark Jr.'s manager. And he was like, I like your music, but you need to study all of this and gave me like a, like a list and I just have it on my home screen on my phone and I'm just like every day I study all these people I got to know who these people are what they do and then you learn like I know now that a couple Gary Clark Jr. songs are like this guy Magic Sam's song mixed with another thing that he wrote on top of it and I didn't realize you could just rip off these old songs and change the name to it and it actually I always was like oh, I can't do that but what's cool about it that I'm realizing now is you're actually bringing this music to people now that would never find it otherwise. So it's like, it's not necessarily ripping off. When you're saying ripping off, is it just copied to like a large extent and just kind of like with add-ons on top? You're playing the song, basically. You're doing a cover. I mean, yeah, you're doing a cover and then you add and subtract things. I mean, but that's what blues has always been. Like a lot of the blues songs, um, the biggest blues songs that became rock songs even, um, go back to like these dudes in a cotton field singing together. And then it just evolved as like a, Think of like a lullaby, like who wrote Happy Birthday? Like that's kind of what the blues was and it moved and became rock and roll. We didn't have copyrights back then, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean Led Zeppelin, like I could show you, I could show you pretty much every single song that all of Led Zeppelin is ripping off. Like there's like... But again, what what's the term ripping off? I would assume that like there's a legal definition of how much of the song is copied or, or it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, at that point you're splitting hair. It's also like Picasso. No, no, no. I mean, nowadays, like uh, you can't take a modern song it's and the, remake it's it. It's the melody. Sued, right? Yeah, it's okay. the melody really that you can get sued for. But it's it's also like, it's, I think it's Picasso says like... like uh, something about stealing. <laughs> no, like, I, I agree that there's, there's, all art is forms of imitation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, even if, if like, I'm sure that some artists are like real groundbreaking, 
you know, real groundbreaking people and they just see something inside and they, but it's still based on techniques and, and, um, you know, things that exist. So I guess it's just what portion of the creation you copied or learned from somebody else, right? Yeah. It has to build on top of the other thing. You cannot yeah. just pop out of nothing just like technology can't. Yeah. Right. So, well, I, I think it's, I think it's important if you are going to, steal or borrow like that i think it's important to actually just reference where you got it from and that was the biggest thing that because i used to love Liz but i don't Apple. think you're always aware well that's true i mean and that's where i i do that a lot well i'll write a song and i'll be like oh this is that song but i changed it enough now so it's not so sometimes you don't know until you know um yeah. but that was like i re i used to love led zeppelin and then up until this interaction with this person who told me all about all this blue stuff and i started really studying and then i started really getting annoyed with led zeppelin because i would like there's this guy, uh, Steve Marriott, who is in this, he was in this band uh, called Humble Pie and this band Small Faces. And he, like, we need Jamie to show you. Uh, basically, <laughs> Jamie, like. Jamie, pull up whatever this is. If you can, look up, at some point, look up Black Coffee by Humble Pie. He's the greatest rock singer ever. Like, you'll see, like, it's crazy. And what's cool is. American like, singer? Yeah, American. Well, no, he's he's British. He was like this little guy. They were called small faces because, uh, like their whole band was like these little. They were like really. Their faces were small. Like they're wait. They were like little people. Well, they were very small. They were like very short and like. But this dude he's just like whale. And what's crazy is they have this one song in Small Faces that's it's it's like Led Zeppelin copied it exactly. Even the singer and the tonality of the singer that Robert Plant has. Um, it's like exactly the same as Steve Marriott. And so, but he got, he got screwed over. He had bad management and stuff, but he's probably one of the greatest rock singers of all time. And it's yeah. Black coffee by Steve Marriott. It, it's funny because I'm going to write it down. Black yeah. Coffee by Steve. So I, um, I was actually recently, I've been trying to like work on my voice and getting better. So I've been studying Steve Marriott and what was, what was crazy. This was a really weird day. Just I'll, you'll see why. So I was studying Steve Marriott. He's got this song, Black Coffee. So I'm trying to sing it. It's like, Black Coffee. Like, I'm trying to do it. Like, it's really hard. So I pitch it down and I'm working on it all day. And then there was like two days in a row I was working on a song, Black Coffee. And just trying to learn it and see if I can even get close at all, which I don't know. It's very tough. But I was doing that. And then I was making coffee one morning. Like, in the midst of like, this is what's on my mind is this Black Coffee thing. I make coffee in the French press. I pour the water in. And then I push it down and it doesn't go in properly. And I push it and it shoots at me. And I legit burned. Ooh. Right? If you can see. Whoa. Can Here. Yes. So I third degree burned myself with black coffee while learning the song Black Coffee while trying, attempting to. Like I felt like I got burned by the rock and roll gods, like <laughs> attempting something impossible. And come to find out, I was studying his, his history. He died in a fire. And I was like, Oh, oh shit so that's, yeah that's... but steve marriott is yeah way underappreciated okay but that's so the, that's this, the stealing of borrowing of led zeppelin yeah one this of is, them well like i mean you know it's <laughs> it, 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 it i think at a certain point we just kind of again we have to recognize that you don't go anywhere without some kind of information yeah. and you, that you need started to from. you need to study the history and you need to copy these things to get to that point i mean it's everything we do we stand on the shoulders of giants like always that's how it is. And so, and I think also not to discredit Led Zeppelin or anyone doing that, I think <laughs> it's actually, there will be a first, I think it, it's necessary to do, to do this, but there, there's definitely a confusion there. I feel like when it comes to stealing and borrowing, I think people are scared to, and I think people just do it. You can do it respectfully and it's, 
it's a good thing. Yeah. No, I also I I also think that it has a lot to do with how long the song was out. Like mm-hmm. obviously, if the creator is gone and there's less eyes on it, I guess there's always the company that probably owns it or a bunch of people that own it. But yeah, in the end of the day, somebody has to fight that battle. And I feel like if there's not enough there to win a case, nobody's gonna follow it. And yeah. uh, and also again, it's like I think that there's there's a certain marker, there's a certain uh shape of it that does resemble the thing too much so you're not really doing any creative work on top of it yeah i think the thing that annoys about that is that you literally taking the thing and kind of refurbishing it and that's it yeah which I mean, is like re- creating on top of it is a different story like it, i mean look at the recent africa they did africa by um what's that uh what's that? toto yeah they covered that song uh was it weezer i think covered it or something oh i think so yeah and it's identical it's the same but it, it was like chart, new, like, it was charting the thing but, but it was, do you think they they had to sign something with toto or? i'm pretty sure they did something with them but either way they it's not even different it's like it's hard to tell the difference and it's it's amazing that they can pull that off but it's also like I mean, it's just a weird thing. It's a weird space. But no, no. But but it it does feel like sometimes uh, music music recycles. Like there's always those periods, and people Mm -hmm. talk about it, right? For sure. Um, So do you feel that? So what I wanted to ask you before is that all those side, you know, interests of yours, physics, uh, 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 electrical engineering, uh, pedals, which is I guess it's not adjacent; it's directly related. (laughs) Um, All those things. Do you feel that they? play any role in how you create music or not at all it's just like it's just another thing that kind of allows you to rest in between you mean the thought process of like does it ever enter your creative process like the way that the things you know about physics or the things you know about how electricity works does it ever enter that space um i'm sure it does i i think a lot of it is just the setting of the scene i really believe in having a, a dojo um someone told me a long time ago when i was little this musician i was working with um as I was working at a, like my first job, I was a, a daycare like teacher. I would like walk the kids. It was like Lego engineering class or whatever. And I would like walk the kids back and forth from it. And I was just like, I kind of kept an eye on the kids. And um, the, one of the teachers was a musician. Like he played like synth poppy stuff. He was, he was cool. And he, he told, he had a tattoo that's a dojo. And I, I remember it really resonated with me. I asked him about it. He's like, yeah, it's just important to have your studio, your dojo space, because at any moment when, when it strikes, you want to be able to go in there and do it. So a lot of my creation is cleaning the room or cleaning my little studio in the Airstream. Like I have a little four track recorder and I'll like set it up and wire it perfectly. And, and then when I'm ready, I just go bam. And like it, it, it's uninhibited flow. Um, so I think it, it comes in that way, but a lot of the writing of the music or creating of the music is flow state. So it's not like I'm really thinking too much. Yeah. But, but arriving in the flow state, I think it's some people having an easier time with it. Some people don't even know it exists. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an, an enabler of arriving at flow state, uh, all of those things. So you basically find the ways, you know, there's this book called the rise of Superman, uh, by, I forget his first name, Kotler is his last name. I don't remember his first name, maybe Steven. I don't know. Um, uh, the guys are going to hate me for this, but okay. Um, Coulter, uh, Kotler. Kotler. Okay. I think it's Steven. I'm not sure. Okay. But uh, a friend of mine, she just like, uh, you know, he kind of took her under uh, took her under his wing because he's a known writer and she's a writer and a creator and she's really like, you know, she really, she said she really got a lot from her interaction with him so she's going to hate me for that but <laughs> sorry, Vika. Love you though. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, the book is essentially about the flow state and what he does, he breaks down, he looks at it through the, the lens of uh extreme sports 
And essentially what he finds, he studied all these pro athletes in that space from snowboarders to famous uh, surfers. People really do this on a very high level. Mm -hmm. Uh, Danny Wayne, the guy who jumped over the wall of China with the rollerblades. Oh, Danny Way? Wayne, I think. I'm not sure. Actually, I might be butchering. No, I'm thinking of the skateboarder Danny Way. He's got like a mega ramp. Yeah, uh, no, I think this was with rollerblades. I'm okay, pretty sure. Okay. I might have a memory lapse, but I'm pretty no, sure. No, no, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I'm just. But no, I'm not sure. But uh, but I think it was. <laughs> I believe uh, in you. But anyways, <laughs> but anyways, uh, so he talks about flow state through the lens of that, and what he discovered is that all those athletes, even though they never think about it like that, uh, you know, Alex Honnold, like the the free solo climber, mm-hmm. people like that, they really chase that feeling. It's not like the sport is almost like, obviously, it's like a central thing because that's what they do. But really, it's about the flow for yeah, them. The sport's a vehicle. And, and because, because the, the more dangerous the situation, the more you must find that state or you die. Yeah. I mean, the free climbing thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's insanity. That's a big nope for me. Yeah. <laughs> and how calm he is when he's doing it. It's fucking insane. That dude... No, leave me out of that. You have fun. I can't even watch that. No. I saw that. I was like, I'm not watching this. I, I even saw a video of somebody who he actually, I forget his name, but he, Alex Honnold said he's actually a better climber than him. And I saw this guy's thing and he's actually like climbing really fast, also free soloing. And he just literally just like runs up the mountain and he just jumps and he grabs it. And I'm like, bro, there's no rope. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. But, 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 but essentially he discovered that what they really do you know, you know, there's always that one function. Mm-hmm. That one function for all these people is that they, a lot of them say, it's almost like a cheat code because mm-hmm. it's so dangerous that you know you must find it, so you do. Yeah, you have to. Or- you have to. Yeah. And that's that's how they get there. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about all the different, you know, uh, scientific studies that we know about flow state. And, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about, uh, uh, I, don't, I never know how to pronounce his name, Mihalis Csikszentmihalyi, the guy who actually mm-hmm. came up with the state of, the, the, the term state flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term flow and essentially yeah i think that's what it is but essentially what it what he found is that it just like with meditation and mushrooms it actually it it subtracts the activity in the dmn default mode network in the brain and it allows for this much less self-centered activity where you so to speak become the activity yeah, so it's not so much you you become the thing that you're doing and Mm -hmm. essentially that you just become one with the environment and his claim, which is a pretty radical claim, is that as far as he can tell, he's not sure there's an end to this. Like, because there's, and this is the radical thing about the book. Like, it's one thing to accept that because we all accept that. But we know flow is real. And, you know, it comes up in different situations. But he's saying that it's actually not that far-fetched to think that this might not have a, an upper limit. So like the 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 that's why it's called the rise of Superman. So he's saying it's just a matter of like how much we're willing to accept as possible. Because if you look at you know uh, uh, achievements in the Olympics, for example, yeah, there's this whole thing where you know it goes up dr- drastically when somebody achieves a thing and then everybody knows it's possible, it. right? Yeah. But so when the you 900, look, Tony Hawk, exactly. But but when you look at extreme sports, it's exponentially more. And you might say attributed to the fact that it's more dangerous, but he's saying, yes, it is a contributor. But the main operative there is that they enter flow 
more. Mm. So because they enter flow more, they can actually get to play. The, the achievements stack up so much more. Like the differences are, are insane yeah. between just the Olympics. I'm saying just the Olympics. Those people are amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. But between people who do like extreme sports on a very high level, yeah. like Tony Hawk, for example. Mm. So, um, and essentially, you know, he makes some outlandish claims there. I mean, but he kind of breaks down like, you know, it's it rests on a lot of real findings that we have. And one of the things that he kind of uses to prove it is one, it's actually the case of Danny Wayne in which, I don't know if you know the details, but he essentially jumped over the wall of China uh, between two giant ramps on rollerblades and he missed the first day because it was like five feet or a couple of feet, a little bit too far. Wow. So he clipped himself and then he, he, he fell in such a way that he tore, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he tore uh, his, um, uh, what is it called? The, no, 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 in the knee. Oh. Uh, ligaments all the ligaments I forget the name of it but basically his the, leg noodle leg noodle exactly yeah. <laughs> he shattered his knee basically and, and also his leg there was like some major major damage yeah and uh, basically you know obviously they came with an ambulance took him to the hospital and they started disassembling the ramp so he, I don't remember the details of how he told them but essentially he called either his manager or somebody and he said no 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 don't break it down and they're like what they're like yeah. no, no no i'm gonna try tomorrow they're like what? you're not trying tomorrow you're done this is like Do you're it. done yeah. like there's no knee bro trust. no knee no like, ligaments in the knee. The flow Let's but that's go. the weird part and this is recorded you can go and watch this on youtube yeah i'm actually gonna leave a link mm -hmm. it's it's this is physiologically not possible or nobody thought it was so he comes back the next day they they brought it a little closer but by like a couple of feet not by a lot yeah he goes up with that injury. Yeah. That's two months in recovery, minimum. Mm -hmm. He goes up the next day, goes over it, lands it. Yeah. No doctor can explain how that knee took that. In that condition, nobody can explain how that knee took that. There's no way. Yeah. But then he goes back up. He's like, wait. He goes back up. He does it again and he backflips. What? Yes. And he lands so... it again. And he does it three more times. Wow. So he's saying... I'm not sure there's an upper limit to this. Hmm. So for like, real. Full, so like full mind over matter once you reach a certain full. level. Full. He's saying, I, I don't know if he's going as far as like we can fly. I don't know. He's not saying that in the book. But, well, but it seems like it seems like he's kind of. of the quantum field. Like I, I feel like that's exactly what it is. If you're completely connected to your observation and you're, you're almost controlling it with just being present, I feel like that's why serendipities happen. Things like we were just talking about something earlier off camera. Like there's things that happen that when you're in a certain state, they just happen unexplainably. And then when they happen enough times, you just go, of course, like, and that's exactly like, um, what, like for me, like the, how I was saying spaceships earlier, like building the spaceship, like all those things are secondary to the vehicle that is being on stage for me is an ability to just get that, get to that flow state. Like I have a, a secondary, I have a, <laughs> this is so random, but I have a secondary way of reaching flow state, like in the off time. Masturbation? I'm, I'm like, yeah. So that's it. No, I, I'm a competitive in my head. I'm a competitive Call of Duty player. I, oh, yeah. I, I quick scope and I, and there's this state you can find and it's always like a constant practice to like find it. And then it's just like 50 kills in a game or whatever. And you go for it. But like finding these flow states, I think the flow state is a direct correlation to collapsing the quantum field to your will. Like interesting. I, so the wave wave function collapse in that moment to anybody who doesn't know, and I'm sure the most listeners probably know, but uh, so the wave function collapse uh, in physics is essentially this idea that 
uh, every event, every particle is essentially a, a, a statistical probability of the particle being in this general region. Superposition. Uh, that's not actually superposition. So superposition is two instances of the particle existing at the same time, and then you can you and then they when transfer you look, information. It becomes. But but super yeah. But then superposition collapse. So right, superposition can collapse into one particle. That is correct. But anyways, but the the reason I'm outlining this is just so we kind of know what I'm talking about here. So essentially, a wave function collapses when you uh, you know it interacts with any other part of matter. Uh, if you believe in the multiverse, uh, you know. Uh, hypothesis then it chooses one universe to be in but there's different inter interpretations to this observation but essentially it then chooses the wave function collapses into this one instance of that particle so what you're saying is that you think that flow state might be this wave function collapse that somehow like you are in some way linked with the other event or you just well, you become well, you literally become uh kind of like one with the event like in your well, mind i think it, it it's closing the gap when you get in a flow state like that and your electrical firings are just so direct with your like instead of the yeah the the background noise that is so much energy like your consciousness is really this cloud of energy inside of your brain and it becomes more pointed when you when you are in a flow state and so I like to think of uh, when you're getting in the flow state, it's like a... Entanglement is the word I was looking for. Yeah. So you feel like, like you're entangled with the event. Uh, yeah. To, to an extent, yeah. It's, it's affecting the event. So this is a good example. So right here is a glass. Let's say... I, I'm just going to outline this concept. Uh, so basically, there's a glass here. The glass is there because... It's because I see it there. I feel it there. Um, I know it's there from just a moment ago. I have all of my, my five senses or six or whatever, um, knowing, <laughs> knowing that it's here. And that is telling my brain that it's there. So in this moment, I know it to be there. But also, let's say this new moment, it's constantly ticking. And in this new moment, I know the glass is there. And in that same instance, me knowing it there, let's say it created it to be there because of my ultimate knowing. I know this glass is here. So let's say that's so your conviction of being there, it well, being there. So let's let's have two two scenarios. In scenario A, I believe there to be this glass here, so therefore it exists. Scenario B, there's a glass here, and I'm absorbing that information, so now it exists. I would hypothesize that those two instances are the same thing; they are entangled. The act of knowing creates it, and its being there creates the act of knowing. And they are not separate. And when you get into a state of flow, and this is all hypothesis, but when you get into a state of flow, you close the gap of your awareness to the reality around you to the point where you, can, you actually start affecting the reality for others to see and or for for it to just become. And the concept of others seeing, that that's what gets really weird with- The concept of what, sorry? Uh, the concept of other people's uh, awarenesses is what when it can get really interesting. like. I always kind of struggled with the concept of, okay, so if I'm manifesting this and it makes this thing appear now, like I'm thinking of an elephant and all of a sudden an elephant walks in the room or for some reason, like things like this have happened. And it happened to you? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, actually. So, uh, well, more, more vaguely than that, but let's you think of something and it manifests and shows itself. I'm always, I was always curious, how is that affecting other people's reality if it's happening for me or by me? Um, and that's where the concept of the multiverse becomes handy, where a version of you and a version of me are experiencing things and only these versions for a moment in, in this instance line up 
as we pass by and go into multiple realities. And let's say there's infinite all realities for my life and for your life. And there's this sliver for this moment and this sliver for yours and they cross in that moment. And our observations, our consciousness is constantly skipping between timelines. And that's what we experience as an observer um, is jumping between different multiverses. And there's another bubble, another observer consciousness doing the same thing next to you. And you only cross in moments and versions of yourself that are crossing. And in the infinite different consciousnesses that are you flying through all the infinite different positions. And that's what your life is. Maybe. <laughs> drugs. <laughs> no, drugs. that's physics. Phys- physics. You make drugs with drugs physics. physics. That is true. I guess that's where you get into chemistry. Yeah. And you make physics with drugs. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, that's... No, no, no. I, I really like this. I actually thought about something very similar. And I'm at, I actually think that the... Um, some interpretations in physics actually are very close to exactly this. And in fact, the way that quantum computers works... Uh, quantum computers work mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that I understand it is very similar to this, which is the decoherence and the, uh, the entanglement of particles. And then essentially you stop and start the process of a particle becoming part of the multiverse and then becoming back, becoming uh, mm-hmm. back a part of this only universe. And in that time, in a very dumbed down, down version, it essentially collects the statistics of its own existence. Of in its all those own parallel. reality. Yeah, and then we use that statistical uh, property to then analyze certain things that are more or less probable. To gain access to yeah. knowledge of this universe that's only encoded in the in- inherent universe and in universe space that it, it, it exists in. But that's interesting because I, I don't... It, it's probably not even... It, it probably doesn't even matter that much, but because I agree with you almost entirely, I think that just the distinction between the first instance and the second instance as like describing them is different. And just uh, just to remind everybody, the first one is that in which there's either a glass for real and then you perceive it, and the other one is, well, when you see it, then it becomes a glass. Well, in the second one, in the first one, it becomes a glass for you, mm-hmm. but in the second one, it becomes a glass completely and without you it's not a glass so like yeah. but but i think the difference between those two i feel like the i agree with you but i i do just the way that i would describe it is that i think that i actually don't know it's i, I think it's hard to say i think that that there's not at the moment there's not really a way to tell and actually i think in principle i don't think there's a way to tell which one of those would be the correct one? Because you would have to be outside the universe to see it. Yeah, you'd have to be able to see. But it I think that dimension. there's definitely something to how your consciousness interacts with the glass. So I, you know, I keep making this this analogy for musicians, and nobody seems to be biting. Hmm. And I don't know if it's because to them it just sounds like, what are you saying, dude? We're just playing music, but. Or they just don't fully understand what I'm saying because I'm probably not explaining it properly. But essentially, it's like, I, I, I know I repeated this on this podcast a few times at least. So I'll, I'll do it again, but see what you think about it. So essentially, it's because I film musicians a lot. I noticed there's this thing where, you know, musicians, musician one side of the room would play something and he would have their, his eyes closed or her eyes closed. And they would do something musically that somebody on the other side of the room was playing with them would see it in their mind's eye and they would go like, mm-hmm. like they would see it, right? Yeah. So now it sounds pretty, again, it's pretty banal. Like it's like, what are you talking about? Like, right, we, it's just like they heard the music, right? Yeah, but it, it illustrates something to me. 
yeah. which is that the information in the music itself carried itself through the room. It's a direct communication. And, but that's a medium. Mm-hmm. So there's something in the frequency itself, in, in the way the music is, mm-hmm. that communicated something to the other person that they saw. Like they're on the same channel. Yeah. And, and that actually made me think that maybe music is a thing that its potential exists constantly. Like the, the you know, the octaves and the, and the, and the um, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Timbre? No, no. When something sounds really good, like it's a... Chord? Uh, harmonics. A, harmonics. Yes, thank you. Uh, those things exist. They're almost like building blocks. And then what musicians can do is they can combine them into things and they make them alive for other people who can't do it. And that's why music is so mesmerizing. Now, mm-hmm. it sounds like I'm just romanticizing the idea, but no, in my claim, I'm saying, no, 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 I'm, this is not like a, like a poetic idea for me. I'm saying, what if it's, that's how it is. And in fact, then you can extrapolate it forward. That's what made me think of this. According to what you were saying, what if everything is like this? What if it's not just the music? Yeah. What if the building blocks of everything you see is like this? Yeah. It's the harmonics of... Well, that's what's interesting about musicians is they, they learn the language of frequency modulation. The modulation of frequencies. So to, to change the pitch of frequencies and to combine them and see how their waves interact um, in phase or out of phase, creating standing waves and other artifacting that causes different drawings and pictures. So... I, it's really interesting you say that because actually earlier today I was listening to a song of a, like a song I was like, I kind of want to cover this song and I was listening to it and I hear him play it and I don't have to, I've gotten to a point now with my understanding of this language, um, which has been really exciting actually to see because I'm so in it all the time. Um, and now to like see it, the fruits of this study come up is I was listening to the song and he's playing a solo and I just watch him play it. I'm not watching him, but I watch him play it in my head. As, as Once I find the key on the guitar, I know the language, and he's playing it on the guitar, that I just see it, and then I can just go play it. And that's what's crazy. Like, it is crazy. Like, I can listen to a song now because I've, I've learned the language so much that I'll listen to someone play a solo, and I'll just be like, oh, that was cool. I liked how you went down that fret on that there. And You I'm, heard him say it musically, and, and then, then you can reiterate and then you what extrapolate. he said. Yeah. It's, it's a form of language that is applied uh, – What's cool is using the medium of your instrument as a visual representation. This is really interesting. Just, okay, American mathematics versus Japanese mathematics. The way we teach our children. What are you talking about? Yes, stay with me. So if in America you do like, let's say you're doing uh, like plus or multiplication, then you have like the division with that weird little thing. And you have these like weird extrapolated ways to, to add and subtract, divide and multiply, whatever. In Japan, they use abacus. Right. And when oh, you, it's those giant schools where they learn how to... With the cal- beads. So in Japan, you have to learn abacus. In mathematics, you use abacus. You, it's a physical object. It's like these sticks with beads on them. And you learn to calculate with it. It's like one plus one equals this. And you can see it physically. And so the, it's more analog, actually. Well, it, it is. It's an analog calculator. It's calculators before calculators. But what's cool about it is since it's a visual... Um, it's a physical three-dimensional model of mathematics. Is you, These kids... Um, they can take like, let's say it's like 500,000 times 6.359 or whatever. They can do it in like two seconds because they see it like their instrument in music. They see the fretboard of it. They see the abacus and they go click, 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 click. And then they just count the beads because it's a physical, mani- 
yeah. three-dimensional manifestation in and their the, head. And the visual space is way, it can communicate way more information at once. Like it's an image tangible, can communicate. tangible. Like, yeah. And that's, so it's really, yeah, you should look into it uh, after this. It's look up Japanese kids. No, no, I know fast. what you're talking about. Yeah. We were actually talking about this with uh, Peter Rollins when we had mm. the podcast. Uh, because we were talking about uh, Daniel Tammet the guy with the crazy ability in math and how they wanted to test that it's not something like this that he's doing. So there's actually, there's two things that, two ideas here that you mentioned that Terrence McKenna once talked about. One of them is that it might be the case that uh, the world is, that the visual field might not actually be just a human or an earth-oriented perception, but there's something about the visual field the interaction with light that operates on the visual spectrum mm -hmm. that might actually be core quality of the world. Like the world wants to be seen. And that's why when you do psychedelics, you see information mm -hmm. because there's something about even that space that wants to be seen mm -hmm. because there's something about it that is actually much more fundamental than we think. It's not just ours kind of thing. Well, and it's, it's sound is, is a medium of the air, right? And air has like a, depending on its uh, viscosity and uh, your pre the pressure and the temperature has a certain speed at which it can travel. Like you can, mm -hmm. it trans transmits waves through it. Um, there's a maximum speed, it's the speed of sound. The speed of light is the maximum sound of our universe. Um, in which like if you start- the maximum ca causation wave that can be transferred through the medium of space time. Yeah, through, through the medium of space time. So what's interesting is light itself doesn't experience time uh, or acceleration or anything. It just, it doesn't, if you were a light particle, it'd be the beginning and the end of the universe right now. Constantly. It, const it doesn't experience time. So maybe what's interesting is the connection from our ears to the sound waves. It, we're connected to a physical medium here, but our connection of eyes to light is our direct connection to something that does not experience time. That's interesting. That is actually a very interesting thought. Because the other thought uh, that I wanted to say about by Terrence McKenna was that people really obsessing about the potential... Uh, the prospects of us developing some telepathic abilities, either through tools or just somehow, you know, supernatural. Elon's on it, dude. Yeah, for sure. But that's way before. But he said, what people don't realize, they already possess a form of telepathy. It's just that the medium is air. Because mm. if you think about how language works, mm -hmm. it's just that I make, I make, I, I make pressure uh, waves of the air in a very particular way, and you then reinterpret it, uh -huh. and then you have my thought. Or... <laughs> Yeah, it's that so is telepathy. Crazy. Yeah, but but that's that's what. It, but I think what what people are missing here is that they just take it for granted, but they don't ask themselves, where is it that you're perceiving this? Hmm. The mind space, like where is that place from which you're actually perceiving all points that at it? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so that and actually, there's there's another small uh, um, story I want to tell you that I wanted to tie to this idea, which is that uh, I have a good friend. Uh, Daniel, who was quite quite a known musician in in England, and uh, he's like actually, you should, oh, he, I think you met him briefly. He came to the first festival, mm. um, Daniel Beddingfield, and uh, he is like he really is, you know, as far as music is concerned, he's a musical genius. Like he's just it's what he can do on the fly is just unbelievable. And uh, the, his biggest hit, I think, as far as like, he wouldn't consider it his biggest because it's not his favorite thing, but his, I think the most famous thing that he ever made that went like really big, I think it went platinum, was I Gotta Get Through This from, the, I think, 2000, Britain. Mm. You know, I gotta get through this. I gotta, anyway. Okay. Yeah. So the reason I'm telling you this is because I only recently read a, an article about him that I, it just came out recently because, you know, he's, he's uh, coming up with this uh, new technology. So they kind of made a story about him. 
And what I didn't know is that he came up with the rhythm for that from skating some skating to work or something in England. And when he was going on the you know on the bridge or something, mm-hmm. the way that it was hitting the 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 skates were hitting the the pavement and, and the metal parts it, it had like dun, 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 dun. and he's like oh wow and then he made this into the, so he literally heard it yeah now the question is was this like a little hint message from somebody for in like sure this, of course it was. well i don't know or or maybe he manifested <laughs> everything he took is, something man. well he, or he took something and he you know we're the bridge like he made it into something that then people consumed and really enjoyed. pattern recognition it's it's it is our but not all patterns are created equal Oh. And not all of them are as great as others. And that's my point. Sure. Like to know to discern between what is great and what is not great. Yeah. I think that's in the, at the end, that's the thing that determines if we want to interact with it or not. Well, it's it, a good analogy is like a higher complexity of patterns. Let's say you have, I drew a triangle or I made a rhythm through fourth dimensions as opposed to two dimensional, like time dimensions. So a song, boop, 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 where I draw a triangle. Those are patterns. But also a pattern is, let's say I wrote a computer program. And that is just a pattern as well, but that pattern does something else. And they're, they're all spells that we cast um, in different specific ways, but they're they're all, w- when you're working with first principles, it comes down to they're all just patterns and they all have their specific actions. And everything is a pattern. So certain things work in certain ways. It's like a program you run. Every time you create something, you're running a program. Like right now, we're creating a pattern by, like we were talking about with the, the words, we communicate telepathy, like my my vo- vocal cords vibrate and now it vibrates this diaphragm. Electro- electricity moves through this cable, goes into the thing into here, the light goes into there and now it goes through these servers, fiber optics under the ocean and to whoever's watching right now. And that communication is telepathy, but what is being communicated is a Meaning. pattern. Meaning. Meaning through these patterns and the medium in flow state becomes secondary. Interesting. So it's pure meaning. The closest you can get to pure meaning is what technology is for. So it removes the middleman. Well, the more and more we advance, the more we tend to remove the middleman. We make it easier. We have we have these mics now, these dynamic mics with nice preamps that aren't noisy, and we have high high quality recording to transfer information. You get it on your phone; it's instant, it's quick, and a lot of it can look like to make things easier. Technology can be passed off as, oh, it's just to convenience our lives, which in a way, yeah, but also in another way, the ultimate state is is joy and communication and, and feeling of love with people around us. And we, I think, inherently chase that through technology and these things make that medium less and less viscous to transfer meaning. And that's also why it seems that time accelerates on it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I that's a, that's a really interesting thought. I like that. And and uh, I, I um, uh, Stephen Wolfram, uh, with his uh, latest theory of the hypergraph that he came out in a couple of years ago, uh, in the it, hypergraph, hypergraph, hypergraph. Yeah, yeah, and essentially in it, the the ma- the main claim is that the universe is actually computational, mm. and uh, time is described in this hypergraph as computational steps. So. In our universe, so the hypergraph is this graph of nodes that develops according to certain types of rules. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's through cellular automata you can show that. And for example, the game of life or Conway is like one type of cellular automata, but mm-hmm. the, you have a lot of different kinds. And different rules will give rise to different kinds of structures that arise. Some of them just breaks down. Some of them remain. Some of them become static. Some of them, you know, there's infinite possibilities. 
But according to that, what's interesting about it is that I think rule 110, I forget the name, the number of it, but I think it's 110, uh, somehow develops into, if you run it, you run into, without coming up with, you run into patterns that point to special relativity, to uh, like Einstein's field equations. Mm -hmm. It runs into string theory and like without you doing anything else. It's almost like it's showing our world. So it's almost like rule, rule 110 might actually be the rule gives rise to a universe like ours. Interesting. And um, actually, you can, I don't know if you, it's already been sold, but I think it was been, I don't know if it's being sold already, but I, there was actually a talk with, uh, what's his face? You, you, CEO of Cardano. Um, oh, ha no, sure. David Hatchins, I forget his name. Anyways, um, terrible with names. Um, Me too. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he was talking when we were from about creating NFTs and like a whole world. And I wonder if somebody can, I think Lex Freeman was talking about like buying Rule 110. Hmm. So it's like you buying our world. Like it, you Wait, buy so rule, so it's there's a set of rules they input into this neural network that plays it out. It's not even neural network. It's essentially, you know how the game of life works? The it's like Yeah, it's like these, it's on it's a computer program where it like it's it develops like the, and happens and exactly. you set the rules, it is, right? Yeah. So this is one changes. form of something called cellular automata, which is yeah. like okay. a whole array of those possibilities, right? And with different rules. And if you run all the different kinds of rules, you get different types of things that occur, hmm. but also you can start with different types of rules. So if I understand it correctly, there's also a way to, so the hypergraph is essentially the set of the development of all the possible ways in which those nodes can develop. Mm -hmm. And in this hypergraph, uh, the, it, it, it gives rise, one of the nodes, one of the nodes, nodes, um, trajectories in one of the branches that mm -hmm. keeps branching out yeah. looks like our universe. But it, there's also other parts of it. Now, in that space, time is measured by computational steps. And the more branching out you have, you have more computational steps at any given time that occur at the same time. Mm -hmm. So our universe or our multiverse essentially is one of those branches. And we perceive it as time. But if you look at the hypergraph, it's computational steps. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because, and but they like they prove it mathematically. They actually have a very you know I mean, it's like, like video a team of brilliant. Of the way we what essentially what it means is that the reason that like according to it, the more computational steps you have, you literally have more time passing. And if you notice, like like the rate of change of something in any corner of the universe is really determined by the rate the number of computational steps you can take in any given moment. Mm -hmm. According to some, you know, limitations like and the that speed would of be light, adjusted and, by the speed of light and also gravitation, which, in which the is area. the fastest you can go through the rule, through the th sorry, through the uh, hypergraph. But then something more interesting: hypergraph sits, according to that theory, on something called the Rulian space, and the Rulian space is essentially the space of all the possible rules by which those hypergraphs develop. Oh, interesting. So essentially, if you run, so this is would be the so you ultimate. run it backwards. You, no, no, no. It's a nut. It's like it's almost like. We are one branch on the hypergraph. Uh -huh. Hypergraph is one branch on the on the Rulian space. Oh, okay, and that's it. Looks exactly like the the hypergraph, only it it represents the sets of all possible rules. And then you, so actually, yeah, you you correct. You run it back, and then you see what would be the ultimate rule that would give rise to all the rules. Oh, interesting, because you can't go beyond that. Yeah, because like, what is the one possible rule that will give rise to all the possible rules? And then what you do is you also update the hypergraph according to the rule that it creates in the moment. In other words, imagine the game of life, only in every step of the uh, of the computation, 
you don't stay with the same four basic rules, but every uh, new state rules, gives rise to a new set of possible rules mm-hmm. that then updates the system, and then it and that's how it develops into this random. That's how AI was born. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 this is an interesting idea. I think it was uh, Eric Weinstein. Oh, Eric Weinstein uh, that said that. And this is a very deep thought for me, which is we are that AI. Like if you ask yourself, what would it require for a computer to actually become conscious? It's like, well, that's what it requires. It requires the entire evolution of the earth to get to us to then develop those tools. Yeah. Exactly. That's what's happening. It's not like the we're going to give rise to the AI. We are it. It's just that this is another tool AI is developing. I mean, if you look at your phone, we are... We're the self-aware thing. Yeah, and we're evolved with, we're now cyborgs. It may not be glued to us, but it essentially is. Like we, so yes, so this is, we're on the path to this. No, no, no. And this is the deepest, this is the deep part of the point, which is it's a little easy to miss because it's right on the surface. So the, the deep part of it is that it's not like we're on our way to become it, is that we are it. So imagine, okay, imagine if right now you're creating the first uh, rudimentary unit in a computer that can be conscious. Okay. And then you let it run, right? Mm -hmm. And then you ask yourself, because we don't know, does it need a certain time to develop to a certain level of consciousness? Not intelligence, consciousness, awareness of the world. Yeah. Uh, Or does it become conscious instantly? Is there like a magic formula? What's the deal? We don't know. Does the processing power affect it? What are the variables? So what he's suggesting is that, well, we have the answer. It takes uh, at least biological, so computational uh, uh, principles, they exist in nature. It's not like they just exist in computers. Computers just utilize it electronically so you can see it in a faster rate of change, Mm -hmm. computational steps. But the computational principles are embedded in nature itself. You can do computation with waves of the ocean. It would just take forever, right? Anything that can transfer a signal. Rocks and sticks, I mean, we are. It's just a hot, complex version of so that. So what he's saying is that it's just like that thing that you think about of that next like AI in the computer. Those first like single-cell creatures were that first AI. Oh, for sure. Just a on, complete, a, on a... Yeah, yeah. and they are now... It, that's how long it took yeah. for it to l- l- figure out how to create a shape... That allows it to build the next the thing. The next complex shape. But it, it's been it the whole time. For We're sure. it. That's well, what, and, it's, yeah. and it's how we how we are in the middle of it becoming that and we are it. Like it's 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 just the next so the thing that we imagine to be the AGI, yeah. the thing that we imagine to be like the thing that you know can calculate like thousands of years of, of whatever history happened in like a day, mm-hmm. and then us maybe joining it or writing it and might destroy us. That thing we think about. It's just the next step of our evolution. Oh, for sure. That, I that's, completely agree with that. Yeah. And, and also, it's it comes down to um, this as well, like what it is and what we are. It comes down to quantifying what it is. Like it's it's also like what we were talking about with the cup here. Quantifying like, or, or, or quanti- sorry, go ahead. Quantifying. So like this is one unit. It's the act of quantifying a unit. That's that's something I find really interesting. Is so um, saying what is it a unit of? Well, saying that it is a unit, the act of quantifying something, like we were talking about with this glass being here in this situation A and situation B, where I see the cup, it's in my mind now because I saw it, or it's in my mind, so now it's there. Um, the the act of quantifying that it's a cup there, the quantification of that is the answer. That's why it's quantum physics, because we're trying to, qu- the act of the quantifying is, and the, act, the units in this situation, these creating the units and going backwards to like breaking down our walls of what units are like i think 
there's we it's what assumptions are we operating on? That's why I love first principles. The I I figured out that this was a thing. I've been doing it for a long time, but Elon Musk talks about it. And it's it's breaking things down to its constituent parts and and essentially using that information to build off of so you can get rid of as many assumptions as possible and then go up from there. And we are in a very complex time now with computers where it's just like there's so many advanced things that like you really need to specialize for it to specialize in the instrument and the medium to get to a point where you can actually understand the patterns and the quantification. Wait, are you saying that? Yeah, these mics sound so it's fun to they listen sound to. Great, man. <laughs> I like so listening. I like the headphones makes it like whoa, whoa, man, whoa, man. Where it's were like we? Very, very white. <laughs> so the universe. So actually, it, it's really interesting. I don't know if you meant to say it this way. But what I heard you say is that essentially we, the quantum physics, I mean, quantum physics is called quantum physics because you have essentially a quantized property to the fundamental particles, which is they're either, they either exist or they don't. They don't have any more breakdownable, uh, they, they can't exist in a, in a, in a, Smaller state. In a smaller state. Like they either exist or they don't. And that those are excitations in the qu quantum fields. Well, it's, but, also, it's also speed and location. No, no, for sure. So uh, I actually made this mistake in the last podcast. It's like, uh, um, but, uh, and spin, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but but what I'm saying is that what I hear you saying, so uh, velocity and speed. Um, and uh, Quirky. Quir quirky? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, you know, do you know how they call quarks? It's a really funny story that I don't remember the details, so I won't tell it, okay, but I, I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I, I remember it's really funny. Okay. Um, anyways. <laughs> I'll take your word. But, um, oh, so what I heard you saying is that it's also called quantum physics, which I love, because we're essentially finding the smallest unit to quantify. Mm -hmm. We're deciding what is that unit. And it seems like we kind of hit bedrock, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that we necessarily hit bedrock. We might find a deeper bedrock. And the bedrock might actually take a different shape. It might be, as far as I can tell, we will probably start understanding what the mind is made out of. Like for me, it's very clear that the mind has to be made out of something. Like not the brain, but the mind. Yeah, the mind. And, and it has to have some com components, which probably not going to go in that rabbit hole because it's like a whole hour conversation. But I will only say shortly that, you know, the hard problem of consciousness which you know what it is, right? It's essentially the, the, the... I have no idea what it is. Okay. <laughs> so the hard problem of consciousness in a nutshell is that you can... There's always this explanatory gap between what we see the brain doing and we see the correlation between what happens to us internally. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, you can never make that jump between this correlation and the explanation of how exactly one transforms into the other. How exactly the cracklings, in, uh, the electrical cracklings in your brain becomes your experience. Mm -hmm. That's the hard problem of consciousness, which the reason it's called the hard problem of consciousness is because it seems to be in hard. principle, yeah. <laughs> well, hard in the sense that it seems to be in principle unanswerable mm. because the thing that you're trying to map it onto is the thing you're using to try and map it onto. Yeah. So it's like, it's, a, it's, the, it's the ultimate snake that bites its own tail. It's like, you can't, yeah. how do you go about it, right? Even figuring out how to go about it seems impossible. Therefore, it's called the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. So, but what I'm having a hard time with is scientists who study this, like some scientists who like devote their lives to this, like clearly super intelligent people and they don't seem to see a problem there. They're like, well, I don't see the problem. Like, you know, the brain does this. That's what happens in the world. But like, okay, great. You described this, the, the, the state of affairs. Mm -hmm. 
but you didn't provide an explanation for how it happens. Yeah. So you just kind of brush it off. And that to me is like a... Well, I don't think you can quantify something so complex in a short enough amount of time of words that the way we use language, I feel like, is... Uh, it would You're saying it's not Englishable. It's not... I think it's not Englishable in one lifetime, necessarily. Sure, but, I think. but they don't seem to... No, they, but they, they seem to brush it off completely like in a, not in a way of like well we, we're not gonna figure it out now no they seem to say i don't see the problem like i don't see a thing to mm. be studied here yeah anyways that's just my own little totally well i i think that the the space between consciousness and i mean it just it's like trying to see something in the dark or like it's tr it's like trying to look at your own eyes like at a certain point that's why it's the hard problem yeah i think it's it's like you can't which your eyes are a part of your brain, which I always found really interesting. Like it is very interesting. It's not the part, not not a part of my brain though. No, my, I haven't attached to my ankles. Yeah, my these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the end. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we just end the episode. <laughs> episode ends. What happened? <laughs> you actually would increase your viewer retention if you end videos like that. I saw that recently. I, 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 because I, they get annoyed. No, yeah, they're like, wow, I'm over this. No, they, uh, if there's this guy on YouTube I watch who his, his algorithm is cranked because he, like, he perfectly hits, he gets his thumbnails right, he gets all the stuff, but he actually ends his videos like, and that's it, and it just ends. And so it says that he, wa you go, we watched it till the end. And so everyone watched it till the end. And, yeah, and interesting, because there, there's no, like, thing, there's no, like, slow closure. And that was that. And I, I have a little music that come up, it's kind of like a hint that we're about to close. Oh, okay, yeah. Which I always found very rude and shows, but I find it very useful. <laughs> it's starting up because right because now. It's like, like slowly just, going up, it's like, ah, it's like, oh my God, that's like the Oscars. Like, when there, there's like that dude. I was I thought it was hilarious. I was watching the Oscars yesterday. And besides all the Will Smithy shit, um, there was this this person that was talking on stage and then the music starts arising and they're like, oh, okay. And they have to get off. I thought it was so funny when the deaf guy goes on. I was like, I hope they put the music on because <laughs> he's he can't just hear it. Talking <laughs> but yeah, that was That's, what oh. do you what, do you want to say a couple of words about the Will Smith? Oh, that doesn't really, really Um care. you know, it's he's operating on a territorial thing and it just it just it, I I thought it was an interesting representation of where we are still as humans, and I thought it was really good because it's not like I disagree with anything he did or anything he said, but I also it's like it's we hope to be better than this, but it's where we're at, and it's like and interesting, that, and it's a good reflection. But you don't think that the context is him sh like he should know where he's at and who he is? Well, the context is complicated because I'm sure he had a couple of glasses or something, and also he's got no. He's clearly going through something. Uh, for me, there's only two possibilities. I don't mean to hijack your version oh, of this, yeah. but to me, there's only two possibilities. One that is staged, which I wouldn't pass it by them because honestly, the thing that actually puts it over the top for me is the fact that if you look at uh, the thing, the way it happened, uh, forget about the fact that he laughed, and then that 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 can actually be explained by the fact that he all, all of a sudden got outraged that his wife is outraged. I get that. Yeah, but the way that he came. Uh, Chris Rock literally put his chin forward. Look again. Really? Literally. And he put his mic behind his back. Now, oh. you can explain it another way, but also when he slapped him, why did the mic go Oh. You know, it's almost like they planned it and he needed, that's why he put it behind his back. To I do mean, this, this, I, this. Wouldn't, I wouldn't put it off because we're talking about it right now. And that's exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. They exactly. achieved what they needed. So that, that's one version, right? Totally. But I have nothing resting on it. If it's not, then clearly Will is going through something very major, which I yeah. fully understand. Well, also to, to reference, if you if you look back at the 2016, um, I think it's 2016. When, when Chris Rock made fun of her. He made fun of her then. And, and he, I'm what sure. What did he say about her then? Um, he said, I don't really know. Honestly, was it like really, really kind of digging deep no, or something? I think it was a dig at her. And then. Because the, this joke wasn't that bad. Well, I It think, just wasn't funny, but it wasn't. 
I mean, yeah. Well, I I would I would think that um, Will Smith never let that go. Got it. Got it. Uh, okay, so it was already building up since then. So uh, he never let that go, and he was just annoyed. But he was like, oh, "God damn it, you asshole!" And it changed his framing of this person. So when this person came on stage, my thought process would be he he goes through in his head maybe a disgust to start with, and then the laughing would have been like, "Ah ha ha!" I'm just laughing along because I'm right up front and I'm on camera. He sees that, and then it triggers this whole thought memory. Like the way we think as humans is we run through, and when you when you run through a thought pattern, um, these you actually like these lipids appear around around the the cells in that pattern, these like insulating layers of fat around those specific patterns. And that's why we we run these programs in certain ways. So I'm sure he's been building up this program for a long time about probably stacked with other things. with. So he has a whole new connection network. So, about so, I, that. so I think it became um, uh, this is just hypothesis or theory. But when oh, I thought you knew it for sure. Oh, yeah, I do know. But <laughs> so when he when he did this, I think when it when he saw it, it was triggered that, triggered that, triggered that, and it triggered a chain of events which caused like a direct lightning strike to this thing. And with any alcohol involved, yeah, no, no, no. He he clearly is going. I mean, the the the, the tears were slightly crazy. Yeah. Like it was it was it was For like sure. almost almost demented like level when he was crying. It was I get it. Like you know, I I get it. Like it's Hollywood. They're actors. They're very sensitive people. Yeah. I get it. But there's a certain you know this and again you know it, it's very easy to judge after hearing all the people talking about it i'm like yeah. you can't you can't like it's so hard it's so easy to judge it's like well, it's so easy to well, judge when jump, you're not that person in that moment yeah, yeah well yeah. and we jump to questioning of character but we've all done stupid stuff and it's like when when cameras are on and millions of people are watching like how many people but were that, thinking about that actually like, that point i would say if that's the argument that i would say he's completely at fault because he's been in the game for so long yeah. and he knows who he is totally that's that's Which is just, where it seems like it could be staged yeah, yeah yeah but also what i find most interesting is no they What's more exciting to us and everybody, it seems, is to to question our our perception of this character, as opposed to even acknowledge. I mean, people end up getting to it, but to acknowledge Chris Rock, like what did like what the hell is going through his mind? What is what is he going? First through? of all, it's really embarrassing, but also, but like, like he handled it pretty well. He, yeah, he he nailed it, but also like. I'm sure he like, like you shouldn't have pulled that joke out. But also maybe like he I don't, didn't. Think, I don't know if it was that bad. I honestly don't agree. Well, that the it was last that bad. time he was he hosted, he he said this exact thing, and I guess he. Wait, wait, what do you mean? The last time he was hosting at the Oscars, the exact same well, thing. Well, he 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 did a dig at her, and Will Smith didn't like it. Oh, I see. I and see. It was, so it was and it was clear, and I don't know if they had a communication or what. And there's. There's things going behind talking, the, Oh, so you made a joke about her. He made a joke gotta, about gotta, her. Gotta. And so I think he was waiting for that to happen. And he was like, God damn it, this guy's doing it again. And he made the dig again. And then he saw. No, no, no. I get it. I, I, so I, this is so I, I have no, I listen, I have no, I have no actual judgment of his character. I think no, I totally understand we're all humans. Uh, I just think that. And actually, a friend of mine posted something I, I didn't think about. But I, I was like, that would be a boss fucking move. He said, I totally like. And again, this is not to say that, you know, it's like, he's like, what, what if he would do this? Obviously, it's very easy to analyze after the fact and not being the person. But he said, uh, what if you would just go up to him and whisper in his ear, he's like, hey, man, like, I know you're doing your job, but she has, my wife has a condition that she's really sensitive about. Would you mind not continue with this line of jokes? Yeah. Really appreciate it. Nobody would know any different. It would stay between us. Do you mind? Man to man. Yeah. And just walk off. Yeah. It would be such a boss move. Yeah. 
Yeah. That I mean, yeah. yeah. And it, but in the heat of those moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that, and that's like, where that's where I hope that we evolve to. And it's like seeing things like war in Ukraine and things like this happening still right now. It's that is crazy. It, it's interesting to think because we th- we feel we're past these things a lot. Like it in a state of peace and comfort in which we are in the most comfortable time of ever probably unless there were like existences before us of humans that had really comfortable living that we don't know about because history and wiped itself or something um <laughs> and it was all in phones and all the phones are gone or something but um all we, the history was in phones we was in phones folks phones folks we believe that in these states of comfort it's easy to see the big picture but in a state of distress like that our our brainstem reacts and our our reptilian mind and our monkeyness just goes bam and you get into it like and so it's I think what's the biggest takeaway from it is in a mainstream, on a mainstream level, we got to see a reminder of, oh, we're all still kids and we can't, we can't forget that. And we need to give ourselves some more time. So that's interesting because I, I've been saying this to a few people recently that I have a strong sense. It's almost like an intuition of mine that, uh, this instance is the last hiccup of this archaic way of doing things. Hmm. And I feel like this is a test for all of us as a world, yeah. how we handle that. And the way we're gonna handle that is gonna determine completely whether we're gonna have more of this for another 100 years in different forms because we allowed for it, mm-hmm. or that's it, because yeah. we put our foot down. Now, obviously that You're sounds like a very- Ukraine, right? Yeah, right. The, the, like how we respond to Putin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously this is like a super down, like oversimplified version and the real situation is like crazy complex because mm-hmm. of nuclear weapons because of there's a lot involved here right so All i'm not i'm not I'm, it's not like i don't understand the complexity of the situation but i'm saying that in the most broad stroke you can possibly imagine i feel like just like you have a personal life and you have i, I feel like a, a person's life mimics the trajectory of a civilization mm-hmm. and like you said we're kids but i feel like we're now becoming young adults in which we kind of start to understand responsibility, we start to understand our place in the universe, or at least we want to pick a career in the universe or what we're going to be in the universe, right? We start to kind of like looking for other places to live, right? All that stuff. And we start moving to our own house. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And we we start to like, because we were teenagers this whole time in which we fought wars and it's just about drugs and sex and rock and roll and whatever. And uh, and now we're starting to understand the, the, the... the responsibility that we're going to have to kind of adopt, right? A side note, again, I always say this and this, I think I also made this point uh, in the previous podcast, but um, side note that I think that also there's actual adults looking from above, but that's a, that's a separate thing. I feel uh, like I've met them. Yeah. I, I feel like I met them too. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but as far as we're concerned, I feel like this is a real like pivotal moment for us. And I think that we are all collectively experiencing in our personal lives what our civilization is experiencing right now, those vibrations of like, of, of turmoil that is there to either test us or it's essentially those things that will determine whether we become interplanetary. And I'm sure that later on, there's also like a bigger test to see if we can become, uh, you know, uh, cross galaxies yeah, civilization interdimensional. so but but inter- interdimensional what i feel is that we are now entering a stage in which we have to make like hard decisions uh but i think it expresses itself in our personal lives and t- so to me that was and it's interesting that then in his uh speech will smith said that denzel, denzel washington told him mm-hmm. you know when, 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 you, top, when you're the, the top the devil comes for you that that really resonates uh, I don't know if you met it, you know, metaphorically or actually, but it, it, it's very true. Like when you get to the top, there's always this 
something is trying to steal your joy. Some, power corrupts completely. Is that what it? Or power, power corrupts complete. Power corrupts what completely. Is, or no, something? it's power. Uh, something completely. It's, no, it, power corrupts. Uh, complete power corrupts completely. Something like that. Yeah, there, it's a different. Lord word. of the Rings, right? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but I I really you know the, to me that ties personal responsibility with with events in the world, and I feel like now because we have the ability to see everything con- like immediately. Mm-hmm. It really becomes more of a reality than a metaphor. Mm-hmm. And imagine when you get into a place the of like medium. Neuralink and like, yeah, the medium becomes much more like you actually become part of it. The medium becomes less but, viscous. But you know, the, no, I really lo- I, I really think that that's a really good, uh, I don't even think it's an analogy. I think you're spot on. What, what it made me think also about is like, uh, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, the guy who wrote uh, Sapiens and uh, Homo Deus. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's this mm-hmm. uh, really big is- Israeli thinker. And, uh, Brilliant guy, and uh, he he in his book I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one it doesn't matter, uh, in it might be in both, he outlines this idea that the wars the way we knew them like hot wars, simply are no longer plausible. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean they won't happen, which clearly they do, uh, but they're less plausible because wars are always fought over resources of some sort so even if people say it's about power okay but that's ultimately about resources about access to resources and what his claim was is that now the main resource is not materials Mm -hmm. but knowledge Mm -hmm. because knowledge would give you all the other things Mm -hmm. and and because of that his hypothesis was it doesn't make sense to kill people because you're killing a possibility for knowledge Mm -hmm. but we can see here where we can still see the seeking of power for the sake of power. And that is the archaic thing about it. It's not that he's just trying to take over. It's the fact that the reason he's doing it is purely megalomaniacal, like just like, I just need this power. Well, I I feel like um, something that's happening too is is our our awareness of what power is, is shifting, especially with the Trump situation um, before the corona situation now the war situation always something happening um but i feel like um there is this what power is to us is what what needs to shift putting people in power that we don't that we that shouldn't be in power and what is power first of all breaking that down to its constituent parts what is power and who do we want to put there and how do we choose what who goes there i think is is the action because this thing with putin it's like this person, like I know, like a lot of people in Russia, probably most people in Russia don't want to. I don't know this, but it does, seems like they don't give a shit about it, like he does. Taking this, no, space. no, that, that's totally a Putin thing, not necessarily yeah. a Russian thing. Yeah, so it's like, why would so quantifying what power is first of all, and then finding better ways to put people in those states in those positions of power, because that's what shifts our our societies. That action, I think, is where our next step into adolescence of a species. Uh, becomes when our adulthood is when we find ways to put people in power, really clever ways to put people in power that we trust. Um, and I think that actually will have something to do with AI uh, in some way, because an intelligence, an inherent intelligence in ways we will not know until it happens will actually affect that and affect our world. Because like the way, the way things move, we still have barely an understanding. And we need to put people in power that have just a little more understanding than we do. Like, let's say if Elon Musk could be like the the, the dude of the world, you're like, 
I would be like, yes. Because uh, you see his mission statement by what he does. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's action over words, and it's it, there's a perfect example of Trump. I'm not for nor against it. I am neutral. I'm Switzerland on this with Trump. But um, he is so... It's so words. It's so much words. And it's like how... It's not so much action. I don't even know what his action was because it was just so diluted with words. So finding ways to put people in power that are mostly action. And it's like, I feel like Elon Musk would be wasted in positions of power almost because his, his and I think he knows that. Like, well, I think his position of power is what he creates. I think yeah. power is the ability to influence things to happen, essentially. Yeah, as opposed you know, to the, like being the, the leader. So or David Deutsch has this idea uh, that, uh, that, inf- that knowledge is information that can do work. But then he also has this idea that the 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 best possible conceivable political system is one that doesn't necessarily aims at better leaders, but aims at a better uh, functional infrastructure of itself in which it allows for a, f- uh, a quicker error correction. Hmm. And in the political sphere, it would translate to being able to remove bad leaders quicker. Yeah. And to allow bad ideas to die faster. And at, now, you know, laws, the things that are written into laws are never written out of law. So that's a broken system. Like that, that's a, a system. Heal, that, a self-healing component to it. It's it's an error correction system. Mm-hmm. So like all things, because he, he builds it into like a larger uh, theory about the universe itself. But he shows how it manifests itself in everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why. Because essentially, it's all uh, the, the things that develop there around informational patterns that are called knowledge that essentially information that can do work, like the knowledge inside your genes, inside the DNA Mm -hmm. that can construct the body. So it literally knows how to do work. Information in your brain knows how to manifest music. Uh, Information in this building, there's information embedded in the walls to turn in on the angles and in the way that it's constructed it's information it's like it, the, it, the pyramids is a good example like the pyramids is a good example Struc- any structure well, like in the pyramids it's the exact shape and dimensions tell you the exact shape and dimensions of the earth like it's written into the shape and size exactly of the so it's so it's 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 an analogy to how we see something else is constructed so you can have so but but the reason he ties it to something very functional which is that if we don't understand and then adhere to this property of the world of what he calls constructors, which is, you know, things that can remain themselves while still transforming matter around themselves to something else, mm. to like structures. Mm-hmm. And he calls humans uh, universal constructors because we can potentially construct anything that is physically possible. Yeah. So we already reached that level of universal constructors. So in principle, we can actually, yeah. Con- yeah. So in political systems, it would express itself as, 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 oh, in order to achieve a state in which you can uh, absorb a new situation, and then act accordingly to keep manifesting yourself as a constructor, yet at the same, because you know you have to rejuvenate the cells and everything else. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, keeping all the infrastructure that is required to keep society, which is like you know the next level up is is uh, culture. Culture inculcates in, in it more informational structures mm-hmm. that one individual can't. Yeah, it's right? like it's like Maslow's pyramid for society, like having those base levels, and then we can get to higher structures. Yeah. So when you get to like, he's saying that it's possible to get to, you never get to a place in which there's no problems arise. Problems are inevitable. That's the law of nature. Yeah. But all problems are soluble. And it's also a law of nature, according to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those tenants, problems soluble are, are a good way to yeah, pro- pro- all problems are uh, inevitable. The problems are inevitable. You will never reach a plateau of no problems. It's just yeah. what the universe, do- the universe doesn't do that. It's entropy to an extent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also all problems are soluble in in uh, principle. It doesn't mean you will solve them, but it means that the solution to anything that exists, exists. Yes. So, so in, to any problem that exists. 
uh, but you might be too far from it in time or in space. You might not have enough time to figure it out. You don't necessarily get, you're not necessarily going to figure it out, but it's absolutely 100% possible to solve it. Yeah. And because of that, the most uh, optimal state for a civilization is to reach a state of equilibrium between how much new states at what rate it accesses while having the tools to handle new situations, new novel situations, and then transform them into something that is sustainable in the same system, integrate it, and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's the optimal, it's the optimal bubble of existence. Yeah, that it's anything can between... That, can, that civilization can hope, to, and it can still be demolished at some point. Yeah. But that's the, what, the best you can hope for. It's the balance between structure and entropy. Exactly. The perfect yin and yang. The, the reconstructing yeah. and, and uh, deconstructing. Which is what I always thought was interesting about uh, humans, like, and, and creatures and, and life. We actually do something it seems to be the opposite of entropy is we we make structures out of nonsense you take like i don't we know we resist entropy yeah yeah we, and and i feel if but life does in general well yeah and what's yeah. cool is in that in that vein if you if you believe that the the universe will theoretically end in heat death in everything becoming hydrogen if we advance long enough and fast enough we actually may extend the length of a universe we might yeah by actually counteracting entropy enough there's there's uh, another idea in the book that is actually reiterating uh, an older idea uh, of the Omega Point civilization in which it's a hypothetical situation in which if uh, not the heat death happens, but the big crunch, mm -hmm. then in that less instance of the almost infinite density, mm -hmm. the civilization would be advanced enough to be able to A, sus uh, sustain, uh, um, sustain themselves in the crazy heat that By occurs. pushing a gra gravitational what, field. What, however they do yeah. it. But also use the, the 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 speed with which things occur to create infinite computation that will put people in um, simulations. That in those simulations, it will infinitely extend the time periods forever. Ah, using the power so, of the heat death itself exactly. as like a Dyson so, sphere collapse. Exactly. So, their so for them, the universe would never actually end. And here we are. Oh my God, that's a genius <laughs> that idea. That is fucking a genius. In the collapse of the universe, we absorb and use forever. that energy to create an infinite time inside of a computer for that instance. But for us, it's infinity and here we are. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lucas, uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, I want to end with this. I, tell us a little bit about the, the festival that you guys have been doing and uh, about the next one that is coming up. Yes. Okay. So we throw we throw these festivals. It's called Mmm Fest. M-M-M-M. -M -M -M. Musical Meeting of Mystical Minds or Mystical Meeting of Magical Musical Minds of Music and Magic. It's, uh, it's in Santa Clarita. We built a – well, you and me – we actually built we in the beginning. We stayed yeah. up till 4 a.m. every night and <laughs> get up at 7 or whatever it was, building a roller disco dance floor stage. And uh, it worked. We built it in like what? We built it in like a week. Uh, a week with, with a ramp that was reconstructed, but still like a, like a half, half pipe. pipe. And we built and a, a stage. stage. And we did all this in like, like maybe a week and a half. Without killing each other. We almost died, but together. <laughs> um, so... The next festival is May 14th. Um, it, you can go to the website, the skipper room. It's the skipper earth slash fest to see the information. It's also at mm festival on Instagram. Also, if you go to our band page uh, at the things official, it will be posted there before the festival. And um, yeah, tickets are online. It's a good time. We'll be there. <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> It was such an absolute pleasure, bro. It was amazing. <laughs> Thank you for having me, sir.
good work. Good work. That's and a good time. Uh, that was amazing. I, I'm very excited to do this again. Yes, me too. I'd love to come back. Let me know. Absolutely. I can drive, but I don't have a license. <laughs> <laughs> I have to come pick you up. Okay, I know. I'll go get it. <laughs>